This is the Manga Mavericks Podcast, Episode 223. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lamra Yasha. And today we are doing another catch-up of the news. Really, this is our first catch-up of all the news that has come out in 2023. Though, we still have a lot of leftover news from 2022 to get through. A lot of anime-related news and announcements in particular. But yeah, we have a lot to cover on this episode. And we have a lot uh, to see if we we can actually get through it. But yeah, it's actually mostly, I think, going to be a lot of this uh, anime catch-up news. So maybe that'll go quicker than uh, we expect. But there are some big industry stories, too. And of course, a lot of new licenses and some serialization updates to kind of catch up on as well. I'm at least more confident that we will get through more of this news in our usual time length than we tried to last time. Uh, That's for sure. But yeah, real quickly before we even get to news, uh, we actually have a new patron to shout out, and that new patron is Manly P. Hall. Thank you, Manly P. Hall, for signing up for our Patreon. Uh, We really appreciate your support. It means a lot to us. If you want to get a shout out like Manly P. Hall, that's a very fun name to say, you could sign up for as little as a dollar over on our Patreon at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. Sign up for as little as a dollar and you will get a shout out from us on the next episode of the podcast we have to record after you become a patron. And yeah, once again, thank you so much for signing up and thank you to everyone in the future who happens to sign up after this. Yeah, your support is greatly appreciated. It really means a lot to us and it helps us keep doing what we're doing and supporting our podcast productions. So thank you so much much for your support and listenership, Manly. But you know what else you can get for a dollar if you go over to our Patreon? Uh, You will get access to our annual Shonen Jump Retrospective. That's right. We recorded our latest annual Shonen Jump Retrospective with our good friend, uh, Maxi Bernard, a Friendship Ever Victory and contributor to Shonen Flop. It's a big old long podcast that we try to get to at the end of every year where we kind of get together and spend multiple hours talking about Shonen Jump and everything that happened in all the series that all three of us have read. It was an especially long podcast uh, that hopefully by the time I'm done editing won't seem as long, but it was still a very great conversation. I look forward to doing these episodes every year. And yeah, like I mentioned earlier, we usually put these up for a dollar over up on our Patreon. This will be our bonus pod. I guess by the time you're listening to this, it'll be our bonus pod for the end of January, which are normally $5 for patrons. But for these podcasts, I prefer to put these up for a dollar because it's a big end of the year thing we like to do. And I like to put it up for a dollar basically as a thanks to all of our patrons. Give them a big, long podcast as thanks for their continued support every year. And yeah, I hope that uh, everybody who signed up for our Patreon, once again, patreon.com slash uh will enjoy it because uh, I really enjoy recording them. Yeah, it was another fantastic discussion we had with Maxi about all the Shonen Jump series that ran in the magazine last year. And even though the plan going into it was to pare down the amount of series we were talking about, not to cover everything, so that we wouldn't go on for over three hours, we did not follow that. In fact, Maxi, who was vocal about shortening the show, actually goaded us on into talking about everything and inflating the length of the episode. So you know what? For an all, you're getting definitely your bang for your buck and you're getting uh, coverage of the entirety of the Shonen Jump lineup from last year. So that, that's a lot of discussion on a lot of series for you to listen to. That's very important to remember. We gave Maxi an out. 
We did everything we could to try to shorten the show, and they just spat in our face. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But just know it's Maxie's fault. I'm also kidding about that. No. Um, But still, it was a very fun discussion. I love doing these every year, which is why we make them available for a dollar so that all of our patrons can listen and join us in just talking about how much we love Shonen Jump. Indeed. It was a lot of fun. I think you'll really enjoy listening to it. There's one thing I just want to remind folk is that our annual survey is up. If you missed the announcement on the last episode, it'll be up because it came out a little bit later than usual this year. It's going to be up through February, I think through the end of February. So that leaves you plenty of time to take the survey and let us know what your favorite episodes of the show were from last year, your favorite guests, your favorite moments, what you enjoy about the show, what you think we can improve on. We'd really like to know because your feedback definitely helps us in our plans planning and making decisions and refining the show so that it's even better and more enjoyable for our listeners and our audience. So definitely take the survey and let us know your thoughts on the show and what you're liking about it and what you would like to see us do more of. And as an incentive and a way to give back to our listeners, as always, uh, we're doing another giveaway as part of the survey. Every survey participant will be entered into a giveaway to win a free manga of their choice from a selection of manga that Colton and I have provided, which includes series that we've covered before on the show and some rarer favorites that we haven't discussed yet, but I think that you'd really enjoy. And of course, as part of uh, this pool of giveaway options, there's also a lot of classic North American Shonen Jump issues you can potentially win as well. So there'll be up to five survey winners. And yeah, so basically, you know, take the survey. You're not only helping us, providing us some feedback that we can use to improve the show, but you may win a free manga out of it too. So, you know, if you're one of those people, uh, lucky you. But also, thank you. Yes, please, please take that survey if you've been a listener of ours uh, for any amount of time. Even if you just started listening to the podcast recently, even if this is your first episode, please take the survey and let us know how we're doing it, what you want to see more from us. Uh, We should also mention, just going back to Patreon stuff real quick, uh, we do have a question for our survey takers letting us know which of the past year's bonus podcasts we put up on the Patreon you want to hear. Because whatever wins in the survey, uh, we will put it up on our main feed later in the year. Yeah, so if you are not yet a patron, but you've been really intrigued about some of our exclusive bonus podcasts for patrons, this survey, taking the survey, is a chance to potentially vote for one of those episodes to be released on our public feed, and you'll get to listen to it as a special preview of the kind of Patreon bonus pods we make. So yeah, that's another little incentive for all of you to take the survey. You know, you can vote to see which Patreon podcast exclusive uh, you can like listen to now for for free and yeah so that's another good reason to take the survey yeah i mean uh you could possibly uh listen to our thoughts on uh, jujutsu kaisen zero and one piece film red or you can listen to the first episode of mighty grant's read-through of jojo's bizarre adventure part two battle tendency you can listen to us talk about shoujo manga magazines like we have a lot of really cool bonus content that i think uh people should really really listen to because i have a lot of fun making stuff for the patreon and uh yeah again if you take the survey, you'll have the chance to possibly listen to some exclusive Patreon bonus content for free on the show later this year. Absolutely. So yeah, take the survey, uh, check out 
more luck we got coming up. It's going to be a fun year. Yes, but we will have the link to the survey in the show notes for this episode. And if you follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks, we'll constantly be tweeting out the link for the survey. So basically look out for where you can take the survey. We'll have links everywhere. You'll be able to find it. But now I think we can get on to the news. Yes. So let's start off with our serialization news. And we're going to start off with a series that is returning after a hiatus this year, or last year, rather. And that is Adachi and Shimamura. The series went on hiatus, like, last August, but it will be resuming in the April issue of Monthly Comic Dengeki Dayo on February 27th. So the Nuri novel series is finally, you know, returning after a brief hiatus, which is great to see. Especially because there are a lot of other series that are actually going on hiatus now, pretty suddenly at the start of the year. Some of those series include Freyren, which has gone on hiatus as of the 8th issue of Weekly Shonen Shonen in mid-January. And no real details right now about when it will resume, but it's probably Sunday's most popular series right now that isn't Detective Conan. So you'd hope that uh, it will be able to resume when the author is feeling ready to because it's definitely an award-winning series, a very popular series. I don't know, very beloved. I've really enjoyed what I've heard of it too. So I'm interested to see when that returns. And speaking of award-winning series that have gone on hiatus, uh, the Darwin incident has gone on hiatus in Afternoon Magazine. And unfortunately, it's gone on hiatus because the creator, Umisawa, is still recovering from an illness. And like with Freyren, we don't really know right now when the series will resume. But again, this is a very popular series. Kanansha USA will be publishing the first volume later this year in the US, so I would hope that Womanzawa feels better and healthier soon, and the series will be able to resume publishing when he is in a more healthy state. And yeah, hopefully it will be back by the time the first volume of the series hits store shelves here in the US. Speaking of a series that has gone on hiatus a couple times now and is going on break yet again, Blue Exorcist, which just returned like last year after a long hiatus, is going on break again for only two months, but still pretty notable as it's still kind of been in the middle of its final arc. And uh, I hope Kazue Kato, you know, is doing okay. But yeah, the, the series will be on hiatus again until the May issue of Jump Square, which is going to come out in April. So not going to have Luke Jacesta for the first part of this year, but hopefully it'll be back in full swing uh, by April. Now we're going to move on to manga that are ending, or news related to manga that are ending, or plans after ending. And Colton, I think this is a piece of news that you would be particularly interested in discussing. Yes, I would be. Though I must say, this is a bittersweet piece of news. But Kanta Shinohara, author of the ongoing uh, Witch Watch manga in Shonen Jump, also the author of such great manga as Sket Dance and Astro Lost in Space, announced via the official Witch Watch Twitter account recently that he will basically not be doing a weekly manga serialization after the end of Witch Watch, saying that he is quote-unquote physically unable to do so, even if he wanted to. He also added that he himself does not know when Witch Watch will end due to its episodic nature, but hopes that he can continue it for as long as possible. Personally, I don't like how vague his wording is, because I don't know if maybe the grind of weekly manga over this past decade of work he's been putting out has really just kind of gotten to him, or 
you know, I was also looking this up and I keep forgetting that, you know, he's also pushing 50. So that could also have something to do with it. I just hope that Kenta Shinohara is okay. But, you know, regardless of his health, you know, if he wanted to take a break from weekly manga, like I totally get it. He's been kind of working on and off, like I said, for over the past 10 years. Like he he deserves a break if he wants it. Yeah, I think that he's more than earned the right to kind of take a break from manga. I mean, he's made so many successful series. He's left behind quite a legacy of works. So I think that it is more than, I think, time, especially at his age, that he can think about, like, potentially retiring after finishing Witch Watch, or at least not doing another weekly serialization. For sure. And hey, I mean, that could open the door. Maybe he still does Malenka, but maybe more shorter form works or at a little more, less uh, frequent pace, because again, the weekly grind is very demanding. No, yeah, for sure. I just hope that whatever Shinohara decides to do, that he takes care of himself. Because like I said, he deserves it. And he's given us so many great comics that I, yeah, like I said, he just deserves it. Um, I will say really quickly, even though this is definitely going to be up by the time this is out, but I am very much looking forward to the next chapter of Witch Watch that's supposed to come out because it is supposed to be a Sket Dance crossover. So I'm very, very, very excited for that. Yeah, that is going to be very fun. I'm also looking forward to reading that. And yeah, I mean, even if like Witch Watch will be Shinhara's like swan song with weekly serializations, like he's putting a lot of creativity, a lot of fun stuff into it and making the most of it. So it's going to be a really enjoyable read through its finish, I think. Mm-hmm, for sure. Um, I'm ashamed to say, uh, you know, if you listen to our show to Jump Retrospective, you know this already, but uh, I am dreadfully behind on Witch Watch. I'm a bad Shinohara fan. I need to fix that because I've seen glimpses of what's been going on throughout the year. And yeah, it, it just it just looks really, really exciting. I've read like a couple chapters this past week and I've really enjoyed what I've been reading. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably still read that Sket Dance crossover because I have to. Sket Dance is one of my favorite comics of all time. There's no way I'm not going to read that. But yeah, I'm definitely planning on catching up with Witch Watch as soon as I can. Yeah, and I think uh, that'll be also just a fun chapter to just jump into because it will most likely be an episodic thing anyway. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, pretty, pretty accessible. And a treat for Shinohara fans, and especially fans of Sket Dance. And hey, maybe maybe this will convince Viz to pick up Sket Dance. Uh, probably not, but that would be great if it did. <laughs> Get it to be the chapter that has the most hits on Viz's Shonen Jump website that week, and maybe that'll make a strong argument for it. Look, at this point, like, I'm sure if they do bring out Sket Dance, it's going to be digital only, but, like, I'll take what I can get at this point. I desperately need an official translation to Sket Dance. I gotta own it somehow. Yeah, that would be really nice. I mean, I know that there are definitely fans of Sket Dance working in Viz, so hopefully... <laughs> You know, Witch Watch, uh, if that can get... Well, first off, Witch Watch needs to get a print release. Yeah. If that can happen, and if that does well, then good case for Skip Dance, hopefully. But we'll see. We'll see. Now, speaking of series that are going to be ending, uh, we are going to talk about a few. Bakamonogatari, the manga that has been running in Weekly Shonen Magazine for a couple of years now, done by O Great, who is also best known for Ergur, Tenjo Denge. That series, it's entering its final arc. It'll end in about seven more chapters, and the final volume will come out in May, May 17th. And coincidentally, it'll end on the same day the New Season will be releasing a new novel in the Bakamonogatari series uh, called Ikusa Monogatari. So, one installment 
installment of the Monogatari franchise will be coming to an end right as a new installment of the books is coming out. But that's interesting. I know that uh, V-Lord is a big fan of this adaptation of Baka Monogatari, and I certainly think that Ogre's art has been very appealing when I have flipped through it. So yeah, I'm curious to see how his adaptation comes to an end, and I'm curious to see if he will go on to adapt some of Nizuizen's other works, whether it be other installments of the Monogatari franchise or some of his other series. Yeah, as someone who watched through Bakemonogatari and I really gave it a chance, but I'm just not really sure if it was my thing. I kind of wonder if maybe reading the manga will kind of help warm me up to it a bit more. Were you turned off by Shaft's visual direction and style or like the story itself was obtuse? Um, a little bit of column A, a little of column B. I think it was a combination of both those things. I didn't think it was like bad. It, ju- it just wasn't something that like totally hooked me personally. Understandable. I think I enjoy the novels more personally, even though the anime is very artfully directed. Oh, for sure. Yeah, but it is also, Nizuizen's works are definitely very wordy, and also in his writing, he can be a little obtuse as well, so. (laughs) Yeah. It's an acquired taste, for sure. No, that, yeah, I can say that for sure, yes. The other series that will be ending soon is Given, the very popular musical BL manga that'll be ending in the next issue of Cherry Plus Magazine on March 30th. Accompanied with an important announcement, we don't know what this announcement would be. It could be an announcement of another season of the anime. It could be announcement of maybe another a film. We don't really know, but the series is coming to an end. But there's going to be something more done with it as it comes to an end. So again, kind of like the Makamonokatari manga, the manga is coming to an end, but perhaps another project in the franchise is going to be in the works. And yeah, I'm very much looking forward to seeing how Given ends too, as uh, I also enjoyed that series. So I need to catch up. And uh, now we'll be talking about some manga that are, are going to be beginning soon to look forward to. For sure. We mentioned this on our last news episode, but JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Part 9, JoJo Lands, is still coming out in the March 2023 issue of Ultra Jump on February 17th. And we've gotten a, a bit more info since the last time we talked about this, because there was a bit of a spread in the February issue of Ultra Jump, basically advertising JoJo Lands. We got a bit of new art which looks pretty neat, and a bit more info about what the story may be. Uh, The magazine teases that the story is about a boy who becomes very rich in the subtropical islands. So the next part of JoJo looks like it'll be taking place on a tropical island, and this young man has uh, recently gotten some new land, and that's like the least that we know about the story so far. I mean, look, with JoJo, anything could happen. It's unpredictable. I genuinely have no idea how the story is going to start or where it's going to go. And that makes it very exciting. As someone who read the ending of Jojolian, I have inklings about what the story's focus is going to be in this next part. But I am very curious to see the exact nature of our new protagonist. It's an interesting new setting, too, to take place in a subtropical island. So I'm also very much looking forward to that. Especially since, I mean, part eight was like kind of a reimagined Mario. Part seven is like, uh, was a different location and being the Wild West. But it was also returning to America. America of a different time than in part two. But this seems like it'll be a completely new location. And uh, I'm very much curious about that. Yeah, look, I'm an anime only, quote unquote, when it comes to JoJo. I'm I'm just now getting around to Stone Ocean, really enjoying it so far. And yeah, so I'm hoping that 
I don't know. It's going to be interesting to see whether I get to Steel Ball Wrong the manga before David Productions hopefully uh, adapts, you know, for the anime. But we'll see who gets to it first. But I'm interested in catching up to finally reading Steel Ball Run and maybe reading uh, Jojo Leon at some point. Because I've heard good things. Absolutely. Now we're going to talk about some other uh, new manga to look forward to. Speaking of new installments uh, in an ongoing franchise, What Was New Gundam? The Witch from Mercury is going to be having a new side story manga that will be launching in the spring issue of Gundam Ace. It will be written by Ko Yoneyama, drawn by Chika Tojo, and planning cooperation is going to be done by Hisadake with Mogmo, accredited for the character design, and it's basically going to be set several years after the Vanathis incident and focused on a witch named Vilda Miren, who is a survivor who travels around the earth with a curse. So it's sort of a prequel to Witch for Mercury, but kind of set in an in-between period from events that we know. I'm really enjoying Witch for Mercury from what has been aired so far, and I'm definitely curious about any uh, more additions, installments that, you know, shed more light on the world of characters in this franchise. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in this, and hopefully we'll see it be licensed and made available. And yeah, I think it'd be a nice thing to kind of tide folks over until the next season comes out. Though uh, it seems like the next season and this manga will probably come out at the same time. But it'd be fun to keep up with both things together if that could somehow be arranged. Now, there are some creators who are coming out with some new works that I'm interested in. Shouchi Taguchi is recruiting existence right now for a new manga that they're going to run on Shonen Jump Plus. And that's interesting to me because uh, Shoichi Taguchi is known for their Yuri works. Their most recent series was run in Kamakuri Hime. It was called Fatari Escape. So them launching a new manga on Shoujo Plus, I wonder if we're going to get like a Yuri manga on Shoujo Plus and that'd be cool. And with like the whole initiative of Manga Plus to publish like all new debuts on Shoujo Plus uh, in English, like I'm curious if we get that. But yeah, it's interesting and I'm looking forward to seeing what this turns out to be. And yeah, basically right now they're recruiting for assistants that be drawing the home background, small items, crowd scenes, finishing work, like toning. And they're looking for assistants that are going to be able to work from home from a schedule of February 10th to March 31st. So they're basically working on production for the first four chapters of this manga, which are going to be serialized weekly, and then keeping on a staff of one to two regular assistants from the fifth chapter onward. So if the production time period for these first four chapters is from February to March, I imagine we'll see this series potentially debut by April or May. So definitely going to be keeping an eye out for it when it does come out. And the last piece of serial I introduced, the last new series debut to keep an eye on, is a new manga from manga creator duo Yushi Kawata and Yukido called Darega Okudera Shou Kurishita no Ka, which you could also translate to Who Killed Shou Okudera. It's going to debut in the February 17th issue of Shonen Magazine Edge. It's going to be the pair's first psychological suspense story. It's set in 1995 and centered on the murder of its titular character, Shou Okudera, a boy who lives in a remote provincial town divided by small-time territorial gangs. Shou was bullied, taken advantage of by these gangs, even as they began to behave strangely. And so there was some sort of shift behind the scenes that led to the circumstances of his death. So it's a murder mystery type series with psychological bent and element. And yeah, 
this is a follow-up on the pair's like kind of other works. They also have collaborated on the Evangelion manga Legend of the Pico Pico Middle School, also a kind of mystery detective series take on the Evangelion franchise that I read a little bit of and enjoyed. And in particular, I also enjoyed uh, Kawada's work on the Fist and the North Star Ichigo Aji spin-off of Fist and the North Star, uh, specifically the segments that got adapted into the DD Fist of the North Star anime. I found those very humorous and enjoyable. So they have a good sense of humor too, even if this series looks like it's going to be more of the dramatic side of their writing. So yeah, looking forward to learning and hearing more about this one as it begins its serialization and potentially reading it if it were to get licensed. But speaking of licenses, now we'll get into our licensing news, starting off with some new additions from Comic-E. Yes, and I will be talking about those. Comic-E has added some interesting titles, uh, four of them coming from Koa Mix. And yeah, some of these look very interesting, especially this first one uh, with Keiji's Kabuki Adventure, illustrated by Masato Taguchi and written by Tetsuohara and Nobuhiko Horie. Tetsuohara, I'm sure I don't need to say, is uh, also the author of Fist of the North Star and a lot of other manga that people may be familiar with, in which a year has passed since the legendary battle of Sekigahara, now under the Tokugawa shogunate, all is peace in the land of the rising sun, but the dashingly arrogant Maeda Keiji is finding this new world without war to be, well, pretty dull. And uh, this one kind of caught my eye because, and I had to look this up, because I'm just going to put this out there. Tetsuohara has written at least like, <laughs> this is like his fifth Keiji manga, because obviously there was Hana no Keiji back in the 90s in Shonen Jump. And then I guess he did like three other Keiji stories that were like a part of like the same timeline or they were like an alternate kind of thing. And now this one is like the most recent one, because I guess it started in like 2018. And I don't know if this is like totally related to any of those stories or if it's something completely new, but Tetsuohara has written a lot of manga about Maeda Keiji, and I just think that's really interesting because I genuinely thought like, oh, I remember that Keiji thing that I saw like the anime of a few years ago. Oh, like uh, Kamiki picked this up, but no, this is like a completely different thing. So uh, I hope nobody blames me for getting this confused for one of the four other Maeda Keiji manga that this guy has written. Yeah. No, I definitely have read, I think, the previous, a little bit of the previous KG series that was available on um, Comic Xeon for a time. So, yeah, they've really gone back to the well of KG as a character. And, yeah, I guess it's a character that fascinates Hara. Uh, I would definitely be interested in seeing the original series sometime, a translation, and be able to read that. And then kind of be able to follow the story and the installments uh, from the beginning. But, yeah, it's, it's cool to have the latest one now made available, too. Something to definitely check out. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I, I definitely want to read that at some point. Uh, and then next up, we have Mother Parasite from Hirohisa Sato, in which on the surface, Hirota Miki, a middle schooler, seems to get along with his adoptive mother. But behind the scenes, she's terrified of her son's every move, and for good reason. He's secretly keeping track of her every mistake. Meanwhile, his classmate Kaoru Kasai is fed up with his helicopter mom, believing that she's the reason for his bullying. One day, Ryota saves Kaoru, and a troublesome friendship is born. Read the psycho suspense about a boy obsessed with finding the perfect mother. So this comes off to me like a reverse blunt on the tracks almost. <laughs> yeah. Which is uh, really interesting. For sure. Definitely another like kind of psychological thriller story between Modern Son, but like the real creepy one is reversed for sure. 
Yeah, so this one I definitely want to check out as well because it, it sounds really creepy and really interesting. And then next up, we have Shigahime, also from Hirohisa Sato, in which Osamu Hirota is an ordinary high school student that is until Soichi, a student from the next town over, takes him to a mysterious mansion with promises of meeting a seductress. Out walks a voluptuous woman named Miwako, who, as she undresses, reaches inside of Soichi and rips out his heart. The next day, Hirota awakens. Was it all a dream, or have we just started to pull back the curtains on this dark and suspenseful story? So I'm getting the sense that Sato may be, um, may be a horror suspense manga artist. <laughs> yeah, would have thought. Um, I have never really heard of their works before, but kind of reading through the synopsis of both of these really makes me want to check out more of his work, actually. Mm-hmm. Same. And then last but not least, we have Tokyo Duel by Toshi Aki Yamada, in which in post-war Japan, a government-funded program of organized violence called the Tokyo Loopline Duels is promoted to maintain law and order, and it works. Uh, representatives from each station on the Yamanote line battle for control of their territory. Any defeat could mean losing family members, friends, money, or worse. Fast forward to now, in 2020, a new station has opened up. Everyone, including the popular rookie Koinosuke, is itching to join the fray for the top spot. Will he be victorious, or will violence consume them all? So this sounds like... This definitely sounds like a like a Purge-esque death battle kind of manga thing, and just from the premise alone, it definitely makes me interested in checking it out. Yeah, same. You know, there are plenty of Dead Battle series, but this one seems to be taking place on a train <laughs> station. So there, there is a gimmick. There, there's a, there's a twist to it. You know, that's different. So hey, I don't know. This is just my assumption. I haven't had the chance to like skim through this, but this also gives me the feeling that like maybe delinquents are involved too. Because as the premise talks about, it is about people fighting for other like territories or something. And wh when I hear something like that, my first immediate thought was, oh, is this a delinquent manga? Maybe also? It probably isn't. I don't know that for sure. I should really like skim through it to see. But uh, if it is, I'll definitely be checking this out. For sure. Actually, do you want to talk about this next thing from Comic Key? Because I figured you'd be excited about this one. Yeah, so Comic Key has licensed Yuki Shibami as the Cursed Prince's Servant. This is a currently running series in Hana Toyume, so it's great to see another ongoing shoujo manga. Not quite simulpub yet, but it'll probably get there soon. And yeah, it's basically about a girl who has this curse of immortality, is struggling to find a job because she keeps getting fired because of her curse. That is until one day she's kind of become a servant for a certain prince, and as it turns out, the prince also is cursed in his own way. He lives in confinement due to his curse of poison, which kills everyone he touches. So hey, their curses are polar opposites, and fate brings them together. The bond goes only closer. So you know what? A prince who you know everyone he touches dies, but a girl and a girl who you know is immortal can't die. You know, a perfect match. Interesting relationship dynamic between them, and definitely keen to check out and read more of this one. And again, just really nice to see under Hanachi Yubi Seniors and under Shoujo manga kind of get a simulpoke treatment or be kind of licensed and all concurrently as the manga is still running in Japan. So that's pretty nice. I'm happy for Shoujo fans, you know, not just for the fact that this is another Hanata Yume title that we're getting, but I'm just happy to see more Shoujo manga get pubbed at all at this point, honestly. Yeah, I think that's a great trend. Kamaki is really filling in that kind of niche that has been underserved for so long, so I am very appreciative of that. 
I saw that uh, Matt from Starfruit Books, a uh, friend of the show, by the way. Hi, Matt, if you're listening. Uh, I saw that he was excited about this in particular. So uh, it, it made me kind of want to check it out, honestly. Yeah. You know, maybe we can add that to our queue of series that we'll be covering on our next Simul's episode, even if it's not quite there yet. There's only a couple chapters out. It'd be fun to preview. But actually, speaking of Starfruit, uh, Starfruit and Glacier Bay recently made some license announcements that I think would be good to go over. Starfruit has announced that it is collaborating with the 24th AX Manga Newcomer Award winner, Ezdro, and their Yumi Manga magazine. A lot more details to collaboration soon, but it seems like a partnership to kind of publish Ezdro's works and their magazine, which is cool. I know that Matt's been interested in like uh, getting more manga magazine stuff published. And uh, Starfruit also announced an update on Panorama of Hell that the release is now going to include two red ink color pages, which were previously exclusive in Japan, and the manga will be releasing later this year, which is pretty cool. And Glacier Bay announced three new license announcements for manga. They announced Natsu G.K. Miyazaki's two Arohi no Sugoku Fushigi, or translated, and that day was Mary Mysterious. And is a series that debuted in 2010. They describe uh, Miyazaki as like one of the most imaginative new cartoonists of her generation. Her work has been recognized by the Japan Media Arts Festival and has been put on best manga list like Oriman and Kona Manga Gasagoi. And so this collection collects 33 stories that were serialized in Hayakawa's SF magazine, which range from like small sci-fi fragments infused with a sarcastic playfulness and wonder that sliced through the mysterious inescapable thing known as everyday life. So um, marriage of like sci-fi concepts in slice of life scenarios, which I think is very intriguing. And yeah, with how acclaimed Miyazaki is as an artist and storyteller, I'm definitely very keen to check out this collection. Their next license is Hana Chitani's Give Her Back to Me. This series debuted uh, last year at the Shortbox Comic Fair. This manga is going to be released both physically and digitally this year by Glacier Bay. And it's about a tragedy that befalls people whose lives are linked by a family heirloom and the strange curse that it retweets onto them. And the story is described as simultaneously tender yet haunting and this shoujo horror manga depicts the human weakness that such curses reveals and that trauma and loss that is wreaked upon each generation by the last so very much this is a series about like inherited and generational trauma which is uh, one of the most scariest things ever so <laughs> that's a good subject for a horror manga it's a short manga just uh, 52 pages but again another very interesting premise for a series i really like shitani's art as evident in the the preview cover. Very keen to check this out when it's released. And the Shirbei's last uh, new license announcement was Tomohiro Tsukawa's The Artigan's Horse. And this is the sequel to the Mermaid Town manga by the same author. It's going to come out late 2023 physically and digitally. This collection is new episodes from Tsukawa's Raspberry Dreamscape. It's going to be, you know, freshly surreal of an adventure, journeys through remote territories, really mysterious creatures, and there's going to be a lot more. And it's going to have a lot of author commentary, too. It's going to be about 100 pages. It's currently set for either Q3, Q4. 
Dungeons 3 again later this year. So, yeah, uh, I know I've been meaning to get to Mermaid Town, but I've also heard very great things about it. So I'm looking forward to the sequel, the follow-up to it coming out this year and uh, checking out both works and more of this author's works too. So a very eclectic, but very interesting batch of new licenses from Glacier Bay and interesting teases for some cool stuff to look forward to from Starfruit later this year. Moving on to other publishers' licensing announcements, Yen Press has announced that they have licensed the light novel series You Can Have My Back, which is a BL fantasy light novel series. The first volume will be out physically and digitally in July. It is about Leo Reno, the fourth son of a Margrave and blessed with the face of an angel, who is also the reincarnation of Ionia, a knight of the kingdom who died in a line of duty, and at night he dreams of this past life and his ill-fitted love for the prince Gravis and his debt at the hands of an enemy agent. But when he confronts the traitor as Leo Reno, he ends up getting arrested instead. So his life's in danger and he shouts the name of an old friend and his only hope and dot 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 wonder what happens from there does that old friend return to rescue him does he reunite with the reincarnation of his star-crossed lover we'll have to see when we actually read the book but this is a fairly recent series the first one came out in Japan, March 2 and E21, as part of uh, Katakawa's Ruby collection. It's up to five volumes now, as of September of last year. But uh, it's one that people were very excited for when I saw the license announcement made. And it's cool to have, like a, again, a BL fantasy series get the license that's different from the slice-of-life norms. So uh, a nice, cool new license that I'm also looking forward to learning more about and checking out. Mm-hmm. But we have one new license from Kodachi USA that I want to highlight real quick that was announced recently, and that is My Home Hero from Naoki Yamakawa and Masashi Asaki. Yamakawa, some people may know for their work on I'm Standing on a Million Lives. Uh, they are the author of that series in particular. And this series centers on a salaryman who has a reliable wife and a daughter in university who can sometimes act a bit rebellious but has a happy life in his own way, until one day he finds out his daughter has been beaten, and thus begins his journey into a dangerous world to protect his family. So, uh, this definitely sounds like a very tragic tale, definitely very sad. This will be coming out digitally on February 28th, so for those of you who are in the mood for some tragedy, uh, that'll be coming out soon. Yeah. This is another one that's been pretty buzzy. I heard a lot of people react very favorably mm, okay. to this license announcement. So, yeah, I'm curious to check this one out, too. And, you know, it's very apt timing since the anime is also coming out soon. So, mm, okay. I didn't even know this got an anime announcement. I might, I might have missed that, actually. Yeah, the anime is coming out in April. Ah, okay, okay. Um, yeah, okay. But, no, this, this sounds like the kind of thing that... I think I'd be very interested in checking out. Um, I still haven't really gotten to I'm Standing on a Million Lives. I think I might have a couple volumes of that from like a Hubble bundle that I might have gotten like a year or two back. I, I need to check out this guy's works. Absolutely. It's interesting stuff. And yeah, I've been meaning to get to a million lives too. I mean, but uh, there's also been a lot of uh, announcements from J Novel Club. If you wanted to go over those too. Yes, uh, J Novel Club has announced a lot of stuff that I will be going over. A lot of these that you can check out a little bit of through their service. All these have something available for them, basically, by the time you're listening to this. The first thing we're going to be talking about is Young Lady Albert is Courting Disaster, written by Saki and illustrated by Hazuki Futaba, in which we meet Mary Albert, daughter of a rich and powerful duke, 
With her neat silver ringlets and impeccable manners, she's the perfect young lady, but Mary harbors an unusual ambition, her own downfall. On the day of her school entrance ceremony, Mary realizes she's living in an Otome game she played in her past life. Ooh, what a twist. Not only that, but she's the villainess, determined to torment the heroine, be expelled from noble society, and end her story in ruin. Most would do anything to avoid such a miserable fate, but not Mary. She carefully dives into the wicked role she was born to play, setting a course for catastrophe. However, not all goes to plan. Despite her best efforts to bully and harass the heroine Alicia, the gentle girl seems to blind Mary's intentions, even coming to see her as a friend. What must her villainess do to achieve her dreams of doom? So, once again, another series in, the, in a long line of transported into an Otome game subgenre of isekai. And yeah, sounds like it could be fun enough. Yeah, I think like what I like about this one is that she leans in to the villainous role. Like she's totally all for it. But like her attempts to be the villain go awry because like the protagonist actually likes her and befriends her. So I, I like that. I like that she actually wants to be the villain. She doesn't want to avoid the tragic fate. She's like, no, I'm all into this. I'm into this being the bad guy. <laughs> but like she she's failing at being the bad guy because she's too likable, I guess. So I actually find that very, very interesting. So I actually would be very keen to, to check this out. So it's it's a nice, fresh twist on the, <laughs> this genre. It's not like, oh, I gotta be a gooder person so I avoid the bad fate. No, she's like, no, I want to be the worst person. I want to be the best, <laughs> the worst of the villain, worst, the greatest villain. But like, no, she's just failing at that. People are liking her anyway. I do like characters that try to be the villain but are like terrible at it. I really do like those kinds of characters. So, you know, I would not be opposed to checking this out at some point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, we have A Cave King's Road to Paradise, Climbing to the Top with My Almighty Mining Skills, written by Hajime Naihara and illustrated by Hattori Kyoka. The story takes place in a world where Crest decides one fate, uh, Prince Prince Heel, I think is how you pronounce that, is born with Cave King, a Crest just as worthless as he is. Deemed a disgrace to his family, he's exiled to a barren, deserted island with not a plant nor soul in sight. Alone, miserable, but determined to survive, he reaches for a pickaxe to expand the cave he intends to make his new home and discovers the true power of his crest. It turns out Cave King makes cavern mining as easy as breathing, and as Heel digs deeper into the island, he discovers one otherworldly mineral after another, who's worthless now, but valuable ore isn't the only thing Heel will find on his mining adventures. So, this sounds like it could be fun. I wouldn't mind checking this out. Next up, we have Reincarnated Mage with Inferior Eyes, Breezing Through the Future as an Oppressed Ex-Hero, written by Yusura Kankitsu and illustrated by Ruriwa Miyuki. Good grief. After spending years traveling across the world, saving towns, defeating demons, and then finally killing the Demon King, my party, the people I considered comrades, decided to kick me out. I honestly thought that they'd be different. They wouldn't be like the rest of the world who irrationally hate people like me with amber eyes. But I was wrong. In the end, it's not their fault, though. It's just how the world was back then. I was sure that with more time and understanding, the world would shed their preconceived notions about those with amber eyes and treat us as they would anyone else. I held on to this hope as I used my unique magecraft to reincarnate myself 200 years into the future. Now it's time to find out if my guess was right. And first off, I just feel sorry for this person. I don't I don't think they deserve this treatment. That just seems discriminatory. Unfair. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so I'm guessing this takes place in a fantasy world, I think. And then they're going to go into uh, 200 years later into his fantasy world. I don't know. It just it sounds, it sounds like it could be interesting. Not much else to say there, though. Um, this one I won't have a whole lot to say about. But for fans of Ascendants of a Bookworm, we are getting the first volume of Ascendants of a Bookworm short story collection. If you're a fan of Ascendance of a Bookworm, the short story collection will be available on J Novel Club and seems to be a collection of just a lot of like extra Ascendance of a Bookworm stories that take place in that universe. So, hey, for fans of Bookworm, there you go. I think we mentioned this on the last episode. I Again, we have a lot of friends who are into the series, and that makes me feel like I should check this out at some point. Same. Yeah, it's definitely on uh, my priority list because so many of our friends really love the series. For sure. But next up, we have A Royal Rebound, Forget My Ex-Fiancé, I'm Being Pampered by the Prince, written by Mikoto Sakurai and illustrated by Kuro Yuki, in which Harumi Amelia is a studious young countess and water mage. Her fiancé, Reese, is the second son of a marquee and wields earth magic, a desirable skill for the agricultural domain that Amelia's father rules. The couple grew up together and has always gotten along well, so their happy future together seems certain. Yet, after Reese enters the Royal Academy of Magic, Amelia loses all contact with him, although she assumes he's just busy with his studies. When she enters the Academy a year later herself, her classmates inexplicably ostracize her as Reese continues to avoid her. Throughout this confusing ordeal, the isolated and anxious Amelia finds comfort in the kindness of Sarge, the fourth prince who seems to have taken an interest in her. So this sounds like it could be like an interesting like little fantasy romance kind of thing. I'm very interested in why everybody is turned on Amelia so much. I don't I don't think that's very fair. Um but I guess we'll have to see. But then again, kids are cruel. School could be hell for some people. I get it. Yeah, that too. Next up we have I only have 6 months to live, so I'm going to break the curse with light magic or die trying, written by Genkotsu Kumano and illustrated by Falmero. Prince Callus was born with a mortal curse that marks him as a taboo being. Uh, his days are numbered, and he's been told the last six months of his life will be nothing but bedridden suffering. This grim future haunts him until he meets a Gourly, again, I think I'm pronouncing that right, uh, who can wield light magic. Callus becomes the magician's apprentice in hopes that his legendary power might dispel his curse if he can manage to master it in the time he has left. He has immense magical energy and the rare ability to see spirits on his side, after all, not to mention friends and family who are there to support him every step of the way. And so Callus stakes his life on his mission. It's time to learn light magic or die trying. So I think this could be interesting, you know, a bit of a ticking clock kind of thing. And I think it's an interesting enough hook. I'd like to see where this goes. Uh, next up, we have the 100th times the charm. She was executed 99 times. So how did she unlock Super Love Mode? Written by Yuji Yuji and illustrated by Nami Hidaka. This will be out on February 22nd, in which Alfina is falsely accused of plotting to assassinate Saint Debonair. Time rewinds every time she's executed for a crime she did not commit. But with the cruel Saint Debonair against her, the same fate awaits Alfina 99 times in a row. Death by decapitation. But something different happens the 100th time around. Just as Alfina is preparing herself for yet another execution, she discovers she can hear people's true feelings and that everyone secretly loves her. Can Alfina take advantage of her newfound ability and sidestep her fate at the guillotine? 
And you'd have to hope so if everyone loves her now. I mean, I guess that's the main question. It's like, wait, how did she go about, like, getting executed, like, 99 times and now this hundredth time, like, she's unlocked this quote-unquote super love mode and everyone loves her. And that's the real mystery. So it's a rather than is she going to be able to avoid the guillotine now. But uh, it's pretty crazy. The, the series has this, like, kind of time loop element of, like, you know, this character dying so many times. But that's just the start of the story. And then the real story begins you know she kind of avoids that fate the 100 times so we'll see where that goes yeah i i like that at least judging from the synopsis given i like that this series seems like again like the hook of this being like a time loop series is already enough but like i like that it sounds like we're starting in media res like she's already in the middle of all these time loops yeah i just think that's really really funny and like you said, the, the mystery is how, how did she unlock this new superpower? Not, not oh, how did we end up in this time loop? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, I think that's a pretty funny idea for a premise that I would definitely actually really love to check this out. It, it sounds like it could be pretty funny. For sure. Next up, we have Survival Strategies of a Corrupt Aristocrat, written by Wanta and illustrated by Yunagi. While playing games after my wife betrayed me, I suddenly died and woke up as Jack Gerard, the protagonist of the fan game Survival Strategies of a Corrupt Aristocrat. Unfortunately, Jack has it even worse than I do. Between his parents trying to assassinate him, uh, the betrayal of his personal maid and the house's butler, and a host of other horrors, his life, now my life, is one treacherous twist after another. However, with the help of Adele, the strongest supporting character of the game, and my foreknowledge of said twist, I'm determined to overcome it all and live in the lap of luxury. So this sounds like it could be pretty fun. Again, an another character being transported into game, sort of in media res in the middle of all this really terrible stuff happening. So there's that. Next up, we have The Apothecary Witch Turned Divorced Agent, written by Kozuzu Kobato and illustrated by uh, Yasuyuki Siuri. That'll be coming out on February 15th, in which Carla is a down-on-her-luck witch whose skills aren't up to snuff when it comes to both magic and her work, although her main business is running an apothecary that's been in decline ever since her master passed away. Uh, she also runs a divorce agency on the side, even though all of her clients seem to reconcile for some reason. One day, Carla receives a request she can't refuse. The queen herself sends Thane a knight who makes no effort to hide his distaste for witches to pass along her message. Carla isn't a fan of knights herself, leading the pair to fight like cats and dogs, but maybe first impressions aren't everything. So yeah, this is kind of, this is actually kind of an interesting premise. You know, this character runs this business, and now I guess she's possibly going to have like a love-hate relationship with this knight that's probably going to end up with them being together, because uh, obviously that's where it's going. Or, may or maybe it won't, I don't know, I'm just just assuming. But I don't know, the, the, the premise for this sounds like it could be fun and cute. Uh, and then next up, we have A Pale Moon Reverie, uh, written by Kuji Furumiya and illustrated by Tedako Arai. This will be out on February 6th, in which Iride, the town of fine drink, master of performing arts, and holy courtesans, uh, was built long ago as an offering to a god. Travelers gather here in droves from across the continent, but unbeknownst to them, shades, creatures who lead humans astray, lurk in the streets. Sari, a maiden with the ability to bind shades, is the proprietist of a living myth, the courtesan house Pale Moon, and when she meets Jiju, uh, once again, think I'm pronouncing that right, a shade slayer fresh from the capital, restless shadows begin stirring beneath the town's surface. So this sounds like it could be okay. This one doesn't really like particularly stand out to me, but it, it could be fine. All right, and then next up we have Now I'm a Demon Lord, Happily Ever After with Monster Girls in My Dungeon, written by Note Tono 
with Ryuyu credited for the original work, and character designs from Daburyu. Chapter 1 of this is available now on J-Novel Club. Uh, this, this is the first of their manga titles, I should also say. Reborn in another world as a demon lord, Yuki plans to use the incredible handy online store that is the DP catalog to create a super sinister dungeon where he can live the easy life. But the moment he starts his new life, he encounters the unimaginably strong Supreme Dragon. Just when he thinks the end is already nigh, things take a bizarre turn in his favor. The Supreme Dragon, who turns out to have a major sweet tooth, transforms into a lovely young girl hellbent on freeloading off of him, and she's not his dungeon's only new resident. Within days, he summons an adorable slime and rescues a sweet little vampire girl too. While taking care of his new family, Yuki experiments even more with the catalog by learning how to create his own weapons. Their idyllic days don't last long though, as an unexpected menace appears. So this could be cute. Don't really have much more to say about this one. Next up, we have Endo and Kobayashi Live, the latest on Sundere villainous Lisa Latte. Again, hope I'm pronouncing that right. This is the manga version of the light novel with the same name from Rumiwo Sakaki with Suzu Enoshima credited for the original work and Eihi credited as the original character designer, in which one day crowned Prince Sieg hears the voices of the gods out of the blue. Apparently, his fiancée, Lisa Latte, is a quote-unquote tsundere villainess destined to meet her demise, and her sharp tongue is just a way of covering up her embarrassment. The prince could hardly contain himself after discovering Lisa Latte's adorable hidden side. Little does he know, the heavenly beings that bestowed this knowledge unto him are actually high schoolers. Can he use their divine prophecy, or let's play commentary, to save his betrothed and avoid a bad end? So everything that's happening in this story is also a game? I think I got that right. Yeah, that's, that's the plot. It's basically like he's trying to follow along their commentary to try and figure out, you know, how to save Lizalot and uh, avoid her bad ending. Mm, yeah, that's actually a really funny twist. I, I, I enjoy that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's definitely one that uh, I've been keen to check out the light novel of for a while because the premise is so fun and out there. And I'm, I'm glad the manga is coming out. I definitely am curious to read that too. And actually, the anime has been ongoing since the beginning of uh, this year too. So I actually need to get on watching that as well. All right, cool, cool. I might check that out too, actually. Uh, next up we have, yeah, it looks like a Cave King's Road to Paradise. We talked about the light novel for this already. J Novel Club is releasing the manga title for this, so if you want to read the manga, go ahead and check that out. But the last manga title and last title we'll be talking about from J Novel Club is I Parry Everything. What do you mean I'm the strongest? I'm not even an adventurer yet. The manga for this, created by KRSG, with the original work being credited to uh, Nabe Shiki and original character designed by Kawaguchi, in which Noor, or Noor, however you pronounce it, has wanted to be like the adventurer in his father's stories, heroes who always save the day. But as everyone knows, to be an adventurer, you've got to have the right skills. Unfortunately for Noor, his parry is bottom of the barrel useless. His prospects are non-existent, and everybody is telling him to give up. He figures there's only one thing to do, and that's make up for it with effort. An intense, solitary training regiment ought to do it. If one year won't cut it, he'll train for five, if not five, ten. Now in his late 20s, with no new skills to show for his labors, Nor sets out to become an adventurer anyway. He's no stranger to hard work after all. Now, if he can only figure out why everyone keeps looking at him like that. So this, this is another concept that I really love in stories about 
Again, a very like Black Clover, Mashal-esque kind of thing where it's like, you know, guy kind of lives in sort of a world, you know, run by magic, has to make up for it with either a particular skill or like just pure brawn. Like, I really do genuinely love stories like that. I I think those can make for some pretty fun stories. Yeah, I would agree. Um, But yeah, that's really about it, finally, for all the J-Novel Club stuff. I think out of all of these, uh, Endo and Kobayashi and... uh, what was the other one? Uh, the Hundred Times the Charm. I, I think those are like the two I'm probably the most interested in checking out. Yeah, I I think I would. I mean, I've been. I really need to get on to the anime for Endo and Kobayashi for sure. But yeah, that one I like. I like also Young Albert is courting disaster. That sounds really fun. And yeah, executed ninety nine times in Apothecary Witch Turned Divorce Agent. Also sound like they have fun takes on their respective premises too. For sure. But we have just a couple more licenses to talk about if you want to finish those off. Yep. Our last round of licenses come from Cross Infinite World, and they've made a few light novel announcements as well as two new audiobook announcements. Their new light novel announcements include The Do or Damsel Conquers the Dragon Emperor, written by Sarasa Nagase, art by Mitsuya Fuji. This will be out digitally on March 29th, and the physical release will come, but it's to be announced. This is about the heroine is sentenced to death by the crown prince. Before she dies, she's sent back in time six years to the party when they got engaged. So now she's given a chance to avoid this route of ruins. So instead of proposing to the prince, uh, she proposes a person standing behind her. Wouldn't you know it, it's her greatest enemy, the Emperor Hotties. And so Jill knows all about Hades' future descent into evil. Uh, she tries to attract the proposal, but Hades is delighted, takes her back to his castle, makes her a meal, and she's won over by the food. So she makes a life-changing decision. No, nope, I'm going to reform you and make you happy. And so she's here to redo her life, but this time with the her would-be enemy who gets her killed. Okay, okay. Sounds like it could be fun. Yeah, I, I like that she's won over because he's a good cook. Let's <laughs> <laughs> suppose that evil person, future evil person, she's like, oh, this guy's actually a really good cook. I'm going to change the course of our lives together. I mean, to be fair, that would win me over. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, fastest way to anyone's heart is through their stomach. But anyway, the next title is The Abandoned Harris Gets Rich with Alchemy and Scores an Enemy General. This is written by Miyako Sukuhara with art by Satsuki Shina. This is going to be released digitally. It already have been released digitally by the time that you are listening to this. It came out January 31st. Physical release also forthcoming, but to be announced. This is about Chloe, who is an alchemist of, you know, self-proclaimed beauty. She has a, maybe a bit of a lean streak, but, you know, she used to be the esteemed daughter of a duke. Three years ago, her engagement was suddenly annulled, and she was stripped of her title and privileges. So, with nowhere else to go, she became an alchemist apprentice until she was rich enough to have her own alchemy shop in the royal capital. But she's a penny pincher, and, you know, she goes out of her way to purchase Julius, who is the former general of an enemy kingdom, who is dubbed the Black Prince for his skilled nature and cold-heartedness. But uh, she purchased him to be her bodyguard so she can more officially gather materials for alchemy. But his personality is awful. But, you know, she also finds herself slowly drawn to Julius besides his incessant teasing. And so what kind of love is going to bloom before this gorgeous alchemist and her snarky Cinderella general? So this sounds like kind of a unlikely romance between like two pretty vain narcissistic people. It sounds fun in its own way. It's like kind of amusing that on the cover, like he's like kind of grabbing her head, but instead of like, you know, being super essential, She's like kind of giving her like finger to her cheek and like going, hmm, 
Hmm. It's like quite funny in that way. But uh, yeah, I think that, you know, a somewhat like uh, relationship between two toxic people can be entertaining <laughs> to read in some way. It seems like it has a fun sense of humor based on the synopsis. So I'm curious to see how it pans out. Next title is The Revolution Reprise of the Blue Rose Princess. This comes to us by writer Roku Kaname and artist Hasuki Futaba. Digital release date will be March 28th. Physical release date is to be announced. This is about a queen who is like, you know, on the night of like this big festival event that uh, is meant to celebrate the founding of her kingdom. She stabs through the chest and killed by revolutionary soldiers storming the castle. Or at least she thought that's what happened. But, you know, she wakes up on the morning of her 10th birthday and the memories of this night of revolution are fresh in her mind and she realizes oh I've been given a chance to redo my life from childhood basically and it's not long before she comes face to face but a handsome and a serious young man who killed her the last time and so you know she's given this chance of redemption by the whims of fate and she works to change this disaster's future but this time with this revolutionary mastermind turned princess aid by her side so basically she gets the chance of reincarnation that's the groundhog day this but now she can actually recruit the guy who would lead the revolution again her and then like kind of work with him to like make a better future and also avoid like her untimely that so yeah again it's, it's similar to other these reincarnation villainous type stories but at least this one has like the interesting idea of like actually dealing with kind of more uh overtly political and revolutionary themes so i think that might be interesting if it actually explores that in depth and uh, next is The Inconvenient Life of a Rousing Princess. This uh, comes from by writer Makino Maiboro and artist Hachi Uehara. This will come out on February 28th digitally, physical race to be announced. This is about the only princess who's on the front lines of a war against monsters named Monica. She's worked hard to fulfill her duties and her incredible powers have earned her a place by the crown princess aside as his fiance. But that power also has come with an added nuisance, the ability to rouse the Base or instincts of those affected. So uh, I guess it gets she gets people very horny, uh, <laughs> essentially. And uh, when the crown prince finds out about this, uh, he cursed her as a wanton priestess, so he slash shames her and uh, ends their engagement. And actually, the news of her being an indecent uh, quote unquote holy woman spreads like wildfires throughout the nation. And uh, she struggles to manage this upheaval in her life. And Richard, who is a battle comrade of hers, approaches her with an offer to come to his country. And his elder brother and his wife are needed to be because they're barren. But, you know, Monica didn't really know a crucial truth about, like, Richard. And it turns out he's actually the emperor's younger brother. His elder brother is the emperor of this kingdom. So it's like an effusive and sparklingly pure love story that unfolds between this overly doting imperial prince and this workaholic priestess with an unfortunate talent of uh, people being too horny for her. So, yeah, I mean, I think actually this sounds like a fun comedy of errors sort of thing. But I wonder how, like, the etchy element of, like, her uh, being <laughs> making people horny for her is actually going to play out. But yeah, it's interesting. Uh, and if it's done in, like, a, a way that isn't, like, crossing any lines of, like, consent or, you know, people be getting too gross over her, I think that it could actually be, like, a fun, fun read just about. This person is generally very pure, but that she provokes very unpure, impure thoughts in the minds of people around her. So it could be, it could be interesting. In addition to these new light novels, Across Infinite World is also releasing audiobook versions of I'd Rather Have a Cat Than a Harem. That's going to be narrated by Jennifer Aquino. And they're also doing an audiobook for Even Dogs Go to Other Words, uh, Life in Another World with My Beloved Hound. And that's going to be narrated by Jonathan Thod Ross. 
both of these have debuted as of January, so you can go check those out now. That about does it for licenses, so now we're going to head into some industry news. There's been some rumblings that have been happening in the manga industry recently. First, in terms of some things involving kind of the, the business side of manga. So we've been talking before in previous episodes about Japan's new invoice system and how that will affect manga artists and freelance artists in Japan in terms of like kind of the increased tax load as well as kind of the issues of privacy that have been brought up. Ken Akamatsu, who is the famed manga artist of Love Hina and Negima, he is now a legislator and now he has kind of launched a campaign of staunch opposition to the invoice system. And he has basically kind of been outspoken about this on Twitter, that the hurdle is very high for changing the law in a way that stops and delays the system from coming into effect. But he's going to focus on working to change the law if problems arise after it gets implemented later this October. And he's commented that, you know, would even with the party's tax system research council, there would be very strong opinions about delaying or stopping the invoice system. But yeah, the hurdle is too high to treat this from a legislation perspective. So he's entrusting the matter to the head of council and the problems with the system show up after it's in fact next October, then they will form the law. So they're going to take a wait-and-see approach, essentially, because right now it's, like, kind of too late to stop it from happening outright, so they're going to have a better chance of making changes after it goes forward. But he also added up that uh, industries that impose the invoice system are petitioning to reduce the harm to vulnerable citizens if the system cannot be completely holded. And in support of that, he is also negotiating with the Ministry of Finance, and they've reached a compromise by capping sales tax over three years to just 20%. But he also noted that if people involved in the taxation side have no motivation to act, that that means that they have to search for what else they can do. They've started discussions with publishers and other groups to address the fundamental issue, which is lifting wages across industries, which, yeah, it's kind of at the core of this, is that the tax burden is so threatening because, you know, wages are so poor and low across creative industries in Japan, especially. So if wages raise, that reduces the burden a little less as well. So yeah, hopefully there'll be some ways to kind of mitigate the effects of this new law if it cannot be outright stopped in its implementation so that, you know, the burden placed on freelancers, solo writers, you know, manga artists and creators are, you know, much less. Because, you know, as mentioned before, in a manga industry survey about people who would be affected by this, you know, 98% of the respondents were sole proprietors and among them 20.6% feared that the invoice system was implemented, it would force him to go out of business. So, you know, there's some pretty serious stakes to this if it gets implemented that could really threaten the lives and careers of, like, many artists in Japan. So, you know, a part of this system implementation is, like, part of the controversy to it is that it compromises individual privacy because, again, invoices can only be considered verified if individuals file them using their real names and those names will be visible to the public via a national database. So, again, like, manga artists, YouTubers who want to keep their identities private, they don't they want to work on their pen names, not reveal their real names. They're at risk of having their privacy violated. So, yeah. Again, registered users are increasing. It seems like this is going to go into effect. They're not going to be able to stop its implementation. But they're trying to curb the damage and the uh, effect it could have on people in a devastating way as much as possible. So we'll have to continue to follow up on the story as we get closer to October when it goes into full effect and see what the ramifications are from it, ultimately. 
Now, in terms of other kind of more uh, industry political type news, in a kind of odd decision, Belarus has legalized the piracy of audiovisual media and computer software from Japan as part of um, an effort that they are going to basically allow access without the consent of copyright holders from unfriendly nations until December 2024, basically as a you know reaction to countries that have imposed economic sanctions on them due to their support of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. So, yeah, it's it's a strange thing that the Belarus government is essentially saying, yeah, you can pirate these Japanese works and you're not going to be penalized at all for that. I mean, basically, like, it says that their state-owned agency, the National Patent Authority, is going to process international copyright claims and then individuals or companies who import unlicensed pirated content will pay a fee to this organization and then international rights holders will have three years to file a claim or if they fail to do so in a lot of period, the Belarus government will basically pocket that money. So it's basically like they're going to profit off of piracy uh, instead of like, you know, actually working with the actual copyright holders really to mitigate the effects and costs of piracy and give them compensation. Like the, the way the system's set up, it's like kind of a sneaky way to actually make profit and pocket money uh, off of fines for piracy of media from other countries. So it is an interesting decision is just again part of this larger political landscape of you know international relations are related to the Russia-Ukraine war but it directly has to deal with manga piracy and Japanese media consumption in Belarus so it's something to note and see what the ramifications of that are going to be in the future. Now, to move things to another part of the world, there's also been some odd things going on with Amazon Europe because Seven Seas announced that uh, Amazon Europe has made a quote-unquote environmental decision to stop purchasing their books altogether. Like, Amazon Europe has ceased purchasing from other companies in Seven Seas region right now, too. And it's a very strange thing. Like, they're working with their distributors for solutions but basically they just suggest purchasing their books from other retailers if you live in Europe and order from Amazon uh, Europe. So that's a very strange thing that they have decided altogether Amazon Europe not to purchase and stock Seven Seas titles. And I, I wonder... The rationale for that, like, just outright old titles from the publisher, like, it'd be one thing if it was, like, just, like, content that maybe had more, like, kind of a adult or explicit material, but, like, just outright all the books from the publisher is, is a very strange thing. And I... I wonder what effect this will have for the distribution of Seven Seas titles in Europe and sales of their titles in that region, access to their titles in that region for fans. But it's another like developing story that we don't have too many other details right now other than Amazon Europe has just made this kind of seemingly abrupt decision to just not stock their titles. I'm definitely interested in the rationale behind this decision because this seems kind of sus, honestly. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of sus things going on at Amazon that are very unfriendly to comic fans and the comic industry uh -huh. because Amazon has laid off the entirety, seemingly, of its comicsology staff, according to various reports. Some reports are saying that you know, only a couple, like 75% were affected. At least that's uh, Amazon's official stance. But like folks in the know who have like kind of leaked info to the beat 
in particular have said that all jobs, all comedy jobs have been eliminated. The entire division was laid off in three parts. Some have left immediately. Others are going in June. And another group is going to be staying on until October. But, I mean, Amazon has been in layoff mode for a few reasons recently, mainly due to stock price decline or whatever. And uh, I kind of got wind of this because, you know, Lord works at Amazon now. And so it's He's kept up in the know what's going on in the company. But yeah, it is just shocking that just outright they have laid off 18,000 people, an entire division of their company, the entire team responsible for running Comixology, essentially. And it really makes you wonder what the future of Comixology is. It really seems Comixology had become an afterthought after it got fully integrated into Amazon instead of like being its own platform anymore. And I do wonder if like Comixology's like future is just going to be kaput in the future or like it'll just be you know fully operated in the kindle and that'll mean just reduced features and customization that were previously available on comiXology as it just becomes like a part of just even more of a part of kindle and less of its own thing but user-friendly to comics readers so yeah it's it's a very disappointing thing and it's a disheartening thing but yeah it's not Great times for the comics industry in general, but yeah, it's, I mean, a lot of layoffs happening in Amazon, and um, I guess Amazon is laying out 18,000 people overall, but like, the entirety of the Comixology team is gone, so that is uh, very unfortunate, and it's like, all well, just a effort to lower their own costs, which it really means like to kind of make their own profit margins for their top staff and their stockholders just a bit higher which is 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 unfortunate because like amazon amazon definitely is making enough money that they don't need to like cut entire division and uh lay off so many people just to save just a modicum of cash but you know that's how these big businesses do i was gonna say like amazon makes a disgusting amount of money quite honestly so like yeah it's I can't see a reason for this other than corporate greed. Yeah, that is really what it boils down to. And I would be hard-pressed to be convinced otherwise. And our final piece of kind of industry shake-up type news is that Tokyo Pop has appointed Mark Viznik as their new CEO and publisher. They promoted Viznik from the, his previous position of Vice President of Publishing. Now Viznik is going to be managing all North American operations of the company, including print, digital, editorial, marketing, and PR, sales, and distribution. He's going to be reporting directly to Stu Levy. And yeah, I mean, this is a pretty big promotion. Viznik has just joined the company last year after moving to them from being Director of Sales for Castillo Media Inc. and Only Planet Worldwide and then being Senior Business Development Manager at uh, Ingram content. He was also VP of Sales and Business Development at uh, TKO Studios, so he's had a career in comics for a while now, but yeah, he's uh, really moved up into a pretty high leadership position. You know, it'll be interesting to see what influence he will have on Tokyo Pop's operations as a company going forward with his new role as CEO and publisher. Now we're kind of going to a piece of news that sort of bridges industry and interest. It's hard to know where this falls, but this has been a big topic of conversation recently, and that is Titan Comics' common writer Kuga manga release, and it's kind of shoddy translation. It has an actual translator and an editor, but like the quality of the translation, people have taken issue with, especially because it does not seem to have reflected the quality that was previewed on the website 
Titan Gong was released a statement saying that the early draft pages that they released were done for marketing purposes to get the artwork fans out as soon as possible. And uh, that's, of course, is going to differ from the actual translation, which, you know, were worked on by two highly respected translators in the business. But yeah, it doesn't really quite explain why the difference of quality is so distinct. Stonebot has also uh, given their own comment on the issue and why the translation is different. And they announced that uh, they began pre-production the books in early 2022, designing promotional pages for their distribution on social media. That these promotional pages were translated to English and Japanese by the team at Albany Press using the style of the Argentinian release, but then they decided to go in a different direction to make the book look more similar to current manga localizations in the U.S. market. Mm, uh-huh. So that, that also doesn't really go to explain like why the quality seemingly is so poor and stiff. It explains like why it's different, but not why the translation quality seemingly is not as good as what the previews suggested it would be. Since Stonebook uh, said that uh, it and Titan are going to try and be working on delivering an addition fans can be happy with, so hopefully they follow through on that. Because, I mean, as people have like pointed out, the syntax in the books is very strange, and it feels like the books are so stiffly translated, and might have been machine translated, which is so strange because the translators who worked on it are reputable. They have been in the industry for a while. So, it is very odd how it turned out this way. I really do wonder how this ended up happening and why the quality of the release is the way it is. If, like, again, they it doesn't seem like they actually did rely on each translation. Like, they actually had even translators. But so is the release in this level of quality that uh, is not up par of the standard of quality that was shown in the previews, for one thing, but also not what most people would come to expect from a officially published manga. The only thing I could think is the people that they actually had to translate this, maybe they realized maybe halfway through or, or at some point in the process, oh, this costs too much money. We're just going to machine translate this. Or I don't know. That's that's my going theory. I don't know if that's right. I'm just speculating at this point. But like at, at some point, these guys made the decision to... It feels like they made the decision at some point in the process to try to really pinch their pennies when it came to, like, actually localizing this properly. At least that's how it comes off to me. Because the line in Stonebot's sort of response to the situation about them wanting to make this book similar to current manga localizations, like, that's not true. Because, like, current manga localization does not look like the way Common Writer Kugis does. I think they're basing it off what Scanlations might have looked like 10 years ago, maybe, but... That's about as much as I'll give them. It is very strange how it has turned out this way. So, yeah, it's 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 a disappointing thing because I know so many people were looking forward to this release. But, yeah, I do wonder how this came about and how they will approach remedying it in the future if they do at all. Yeah, we'll wait and see on that because until they actually make a real effort to try to give this series the level of quality localization that it deserves, like, you know, I mentioned on the show before that, like, I was really looking forward to this because, you know, I like Common Rider. I would say I'm like a casual fan of Common Rider. I've seen a lot of series and, you know, I was really excited at the possibility of having a Common Rider manga title come out here and be officially available. That was something I really wanted to support. And 
just to pull back the curtain a bit, was maybe something that we were thinking about covering on the show at some point. But I think I could safely say that unless Stonebot or Titan Comics or whoever's responsible for... Well, I think Stonebot's the one who licensed this out, and Titan Comics is the one releasing it. I think that's how it works. Um, but who, whoever is responsible for trying to make the localization better or go back and fix whatever they need to fix, unless they actually go and do that and a better product comes out of that, I think we could safely say that we're not going to be giving Showtime at all to this release until something's fixed. Yeah, I mean, it has disinterested me in reading it, so I hope that, again, the future books have better translation quality, and that um, they actually listen to the feedback of fans to make improvements to it. Like, I've been seeing people post pages from the book, like, all over Twitter, and um, I said this in a tweet as well, but um, the quality of this release genuinely is no different from when I read GTO, the Tokyo Pop release of GTO for the show years ago. Like, it feels like the same level of quality, except, except the translation is somehow worse. Like, you know, GTO also had a lot of this thing where it's like, you can clearly tell where the people working on that release, like, you can tell, like, the spaces where, like, Japanese text was, like, erased out and they didn't redraw any of that empty space. Like, there's stuff like that just, like, all throughout this release, from what I've been seeing on Twitter anyway. And it's just, it's just bad all around. There's nothing salvageable about this whatsoever. And it it really makes me disappointed because I genuinely was looking forward to checking this out and hopefully owning it. But if this is the kind of quality that we can expect from Titan Comics, I can't say I'm really looking to like support any of their releases until they somehow fix this. Yeah, I think that is the long and short of it. Just a very disappointing release, and we will see whether they will make improvements to it to make it something more worth the fans' time to read. Now, moving on to more celebratory news, uh, Hajime Isayama has received Aglowain's Special 50th Edition Award, so he's being honored for, you know, his work on the series and its impact. In addition to that, Ryuji Ikigami, uh, the artist of Crying Fiend, as well as Junji Ito, are both receiving the Fall Dunnan Award. And uh, Shusho Asumi previously won the uh, Prix de la Serie for Blood on the Tracks, and Hisashi Sakaguchi's uh, Ishinohana uh, won the Prix du Pachamon Mon, which honors works that left a mark on history. And in the official selection of the awards, Heavenly Delusion, The Darwin Incident, Full Night, and Pelu Guernica of Paradise are all in the official selection. So yeah, that's pretty cool. So many great intelligent manga artists have uh, won rewards and accolades for their work. Now moving on uh, to other awards that were won by Japanese media recently, One Piece Film Red has received the special award from the Japan Academy Film Prizes, and it's uh, similar to the Chambers and Singer Service Award. It's given to a person or a group that's achieved astounding results that year. In this case, you know, it's given for the film that achieved astounding results in the year it came out in. And indeed, One Piece Film Red uh, did achieve like pretty astounding results last year because it just recently concluded its box office run in Japan, and its final gross as of uh, that day was over 19.7 billion yen in Japan, uh, over 14.27 million tickets, uh, equivalent U.S. gross, about $152 million. And at the conclusion of its box office run in Japan, which pretty much uh, lasted like half a year almost, it had uh, achieved the honor of surpassing Howl's Moving Castle as the fifth highest earning anime 
documentary film ever in Japan. And worldwide, it has surpassed Tall Swing Castle as the fourth highest earning anime film globally, with a final gross globally of $246.5 million. And it's also the eighth highest earning film of all time in Japan, anime or otherwise. So... Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty cool accomplishment. One Piece film is like now, both domestically and internationally, one of the top five highest grossing anime films, which uh, is pretty astonishing that One Piece is a franchise like this far on. It has set a huge record for itself with its highest grossing film yet. And that's certainly a bar that the next film is going to really have to work hard to the top. Oh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly very impressive. The strength of One Piece globally now in terms of its popularity, but also just the strength of the film and just appealing to such a wide range of fans, old and new and young and old. So yeah, very successful release. Oda drew like a special poster with Luffy in Gear 5 form with a wand poster with the final gross of the film in yen on it. And yeah, also the kind of tagline, Red Will Alive, which I don't know necessarily what that means. I mean, Red Will Live uh, might make sense. Red Will Alive? Okay. Are you saying that um, Uta is, is alive? Because that would be great, but uh, I don't, don't get my hopes up, Oda, but uh, we'll, we'll see. He's trying, to get, he's trying to wink at us. Should I give a wink to the audience? Well, the character of Uta, uh, I think, definitely is not going away anywhere with how popular the film is and how popular the character is. Uta is somehow going to be, like, involved in the final climax of One Piece somehow, and we just we just won't see it coming. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be surprised if Uta is a surpri- has a surprise appearance in this final arc, you know? Especially with details of the final arc of, like, ideas like cloning being evolved. It's Uh-oh. like, okay, let's see how I still admit <laughs> So, yeah, you know, on One Piece Home Redis and Toys only big box office success uh, last year or currently because of the first slam dunk. It's been doing really well in Japan and now it's doing really well outside Japan because it made like 60 million uh, US dollars and was ranked first for the weekend in South Korea. It earned more grosses than that weekend than Avatar The Way of Water and The Point Men. Wow. So, yeah, it's earned like, yeah, over 16 million uh, US dollars worth in Korea at this point after opening Korea earlier this month, uh, being out for about a month. So, it's doing very well in that country as it's been doing very well in Japan. And yeah, it just makes me really hoping that we get a North American release of it in theaters. I would love to go see it in U.S. theaters. It's kind of astonishing how little I really know about the film because like no one has really been talking about yeah, it uh, in our Twitter spheres, even though this film has been out in Japan for over a month now. But it's doing really well in Japan. It's doing really well in South Korea. And I would really love the chance to, to watch it sometime because it's definitely making waves internationally and it's getting noticed by entertainment magazines so yeah i would just give this to us as soon as possible toei and whoever deserves please, to watch this please but yeah i mean toei again has been having a very good year at the box office in 2022 you know one piece from red first slam dunk dragon ball super superhero many other films all together helped the company have its like you know new record high in terms of total box office earnings like over 240 46 million dollars earned across its films in 2022. Well, we'll have its previous high in 2009 of 135 million US dollars worth of uh, grosses. And uh, over the year, they sold about 23.6 million tickets for their films in 2022. 
So yeah, I mean, Toei had one of its most successful years ever. No, it had it the most successful year it's ever had at the box office in Japan. So yeah, another high bar for them to try and see if they can match in the future. We'll see if they, they'll be able to do that with their future films. Now, let's go to the North American box office. Crunchyroll has been releasing a few films over here, and they've been doing pretty well. The quintessential quintuplets movie came out in December. I really enjoyed the film. It was a great ending to the series. It had a three-day gross, opening gross of uh, $500,000, and it continued playing on from there. I don't know the final numbers uh, were, like, accurately reported at this point, because they kind of stopped tracking them after the first weekend but i wouldn't be surprised if it like was uh, around 600 between 600,000 700,000 so for a release that was like in less than a thousand theaters and was only around for about two weeks that did pretty well for itself so i was happy sequent essential quintuplets do well and then most recently the that time uh, i got reincarnated as a slime film had even more success it got released in a bit over a thousand theaters and over its opening weekend it earned about 1.4 million dollars enough for it to land in the top 10 for that weekend. It ranked at number 8 in its opening weekend, so that's actually pretty good, again, for a film of its uh, size and popularity release. And yeah, it's nice to just see anime films do very well at the box office. And I wish that Crunchyroll had a little more faith in the Kaguya-sama film, because I think that it could have done really well in a wide release, but they're only releasing it as part of a two-day event on February 14th and 15th, and only subbed when which is unfortunate too, because I would have seen the dub in the theaters. But yeah, so the Kakiyasama movie, uh, the first kiss that never ends, it is going to be out in Nordic theaters every 14th and 15th, just two days, just subbed. But I'm looking forward to seeing it, and definitely don't wait on buying those tickets, because I think they're already selling out because of how limited uh, the showtimes are. Well, hopefully maybe Crunchyroll will do like extra screenings or something, you never know. Hopefully, but it's also like a midweek release, and it's like... I, 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 hopefully they add more show nines, more dates. But yeah, I mean, that's not the only film screening that uh, Crunchyroll is going to be doing in the near future. And they're actually doing a big event for this next one. Yes. So in case we haven't talked about it before, I, I, I kind of forget off the top of my head. Uh, Demon Slayer, the next season of the anime covering the Swordsmith Village arc, will be premiering this April with a one-hour special episode. But not only that, before it airs on Japanese television people will have the chance to watch the first episode of the new season in over 80 countries, theatrically, I should say. We're not going to go over everything. We'll leave a link to the list of uh, countries in which uh, the first episode will be premiering. But specifically when it comes to the United States and Canada, the first episode of Swordsmith Village is going to be premiering in theaters on March 3rd in over 1,700 theaters, both English subtitled and English dubbed, which is, uh, I think, really, really cool. I should also say not only are they going to be airing the first episode of the new season, but they are going to to be airing episodes 10 and 11 of the Entertainment District arc, which, um, you know, I would have already gone to see the first episode of the new season, but man, episodes 10 and 11, those deserve to be seen on the big screen. I desperately need to see those. That's going to be amazing. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun time to see that epic climax and then to see the start of the next arc. 
So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to be attending that uh, premiere event in LA with the Lord and Sakaki. So I'm very excited for that. And, you know, for the performance by Aimer and the talk with Hanai and Takahashi. So yeah, that's going to be exciting. And uh, I'm definitely probably going to go see it again in the dubbed version uh, when the live release happens. And, you know, I would not be surprised, even though this isn't like a traditional film, if the film still does really well at the U.S. box office. I wouldn't be surprised if in its opening weekend it performs equivalent numbers to the Mugen Train movie. Or at the very least, I fully expected if it's like it has enough showtime program to be a top fiver so it's something to look forward to in terms of like how well it might do at the u.s box office too that would be amazing if this made 40 million dollars well i don't know if it'll make 40 million dollars but i think it'll have a good opening weekend at the very least mm, let's say 20 million 20 million is easy i mean 20 million that's what movie train earned its opening weekend i mean I, I i think that it'll it could reach that easy i just i wonder how far it could go i don't know if it could surpass movie train but because it's not a conventional film in the same way but plus it'll be available streaming soon afterwards though then yeah it's a, it's a thing that will be on streaming soon so uh, we'll see we'll just see how hyped the enthusiasm for this one, how it translates and how it competes. But even when it comes to like American TV shows that get like theatrical screenings, those can do pretty well too. So I could see, I think this has the potential to do pretty well as far as anime theatrical releases go. I just wonder what the ceiling will be, but we'll see. Now, another film that uh, I'm expecting big box office success from is Shinkai's next film, Suzume. That is going to come out uh, from Crunchyroll on April 12th in the U.S. and also a couple other countries. And yeah, I, that's one I've been uh, interested in watching for a while. You know, I was surprised that they actually have been putting trailers for this in front of other movies, like in front of Film Red for one thing, but also, you know, some other recent anime screenings and just even other movies that aren't anime. So that's been uh, a treat to see. They're really putting out the marketing for this, bringing awareness of this, and uh, there has been buzz about this so i'm very curious to see how well this will do and i wonder if it'll uh, surpass the gross of yearning or weathering with you I, I don't know if it'll do as well as like a, a franchise film like demon slayer or jutsu kaisen but i think because shinkai is well no name it could still do very well and especially if it gets like a, a wide enough release and in terms of other anime films to look forward to coming out later this year, there's quite a few. Of course, Hayao Miyazaki's uh, return film, return to retirement film, though he also claims it's going to be his actual last, last film. How Do You Live? It's going to come out in Japan July 14, 2023. We don't know too much about it right now, but on the poster of it, there's like seemingly a bird who is wearing like the costume of another bird. It's it's interesting. So I'm carefully curious about it. And I believe the plan for this is to make the international release happen fairly quickly after the Japanese release. So it, that would be great if the gap is uh, closed. I hope so, because I want to see it. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure the plot of the movie is also going to be similar to the plot of the book that it's based on, too. But yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how Miyazaki's adaptation interpretation is going to turn out. And then uh, we have a Studio Ponics new film to look forward to later this year, The Imaginary, which is also a book adaptation of the novel of the same name. It's going to come out this winter. It was delayed from the summer release it had last year because of uh, challenges and also COVID problems. 
you know, I like Studio Planet films a lot too, like uh, the Modest Years compilation film and Mary the Witch's Flowers. So very much looking forward to their newest project as well. As I am, Studio foresees new original film called Future Kid Takara. This is part of a collaboration with Jetro, the Japan external trade organization, as part of like Kickstarter campaigns to launch new anime projects with five studios, including Studio 4C, and this is a project that came out of that. Basically, uh, the film is getting investment right now. It's trying to make a pilot video to persuade investors to invest in the film, and it's going to be focused on this theme of global warming and, you know, also to be conscious of the theme, like Studio 4C themselves are taking steps to reduce its carbon emissions during the production of the film. It is basically citing the sixth successful report of the United Nations Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which says it is so impossible to avoid a warming of 1.5 degrees Celsius. The world has stressed massive changes. So it's a very environmentally conscious film, and they're going to plan to release it in 2025, which they consider is going to be an important time, or basically going to be our last chance to protect the Earth. And uh, basically, it's going to be kind of a, a strategic story about like trying to kind of communicate an environment mental message to a powerful story to try and help people understand the crisis not through textbook but through the approach of an animated film and the actual premise of the film is that it's going to be in taking place in a dystopian future going to center on a boy named Takara and a girl from the present named Sarah is going to travel through time to the year 2100 and she and Takara must fight the future of the world where global warming has wreaked havoc on the planet so very much yeah it's a, it's a film that is about exploring consequences of global warming and then trying to communicate Hey, we need to change things now uh, to its audience. And uh, I think that the teaser visual the character designs look very fun and interesting. I like that. I guess this there's this mad scientist villain character who looks very much like a chicken. I think it's very fun design and he has like a skeleton robot army. So yeah, it, it looks like a fun little movie with quaint, charming character designs and I'm curious to see how it turns out, though it'll be a bit of a wait, about two years of a wait if we're waiting for Trinity 5. And I'm also looking forward, of course, to Naoki Yamada's new film that's coming out later this year, in this fall. And yeah, the film is called Your Color, and uh, it has a very pretty preview and teaser visual. And yeah, it's going to be about a girl called Tutsuko who can see the colors of emotions in people's hearts. She attends a mission school, but in order to keep her friend's family from feeling her dark feelings, she worries, reads situations, and even lies to try and smooth things over with people. And at an antique bookshop in the corner of town, she meets a beautiful woman with an incredibly beautiful color and a music-loving boy trying to put together a band. So the story follows these three sensitive people who gather together to play the band. So it sounds like a very charming story. And with this team of color, you know, obviously the visuals of the film, the colors are going to be just gorgeous, I'm sure. And perhaps very painterly like this teaser visual suggests. And yeah, I mean, huge fan of Yamada's work on the series and films that she directed, especially Cyan Voice, Liz and the Bluebird. So very much looking forward to this film and catching it hopefully in theaters uh, this fall. Another film set of films I'm curious about, though I don't know if we'll get them here, is the Gridman and Dina Zenon compilation films. The Gridman film has already come out in Japan as of January 28th, and the Dina Zenon film will come out on March 10th. Both are having limited runs in Japanese theaters. 
I don't know if we'll get them here in U.S. theaters, but I mean, hopefully, the country will can upload them on you know their site. You know, because I'd be interested in seeing how a movie compilation of both series turns out. These films are basically kind of uh, lead-ups to the like Gridman Dinozenon T-Mop film that is going to be happening, I think, later this year. So very, very keen for that when that comes out too, and revisiting the series potentially through these compilation films. Speaking of films uh, related to a franchise that I enjoy, the Rascal Does Not Dream sequel anime that we got announced earlier is been confirmed to be a theatrical film that will be adapting the 8 to 9 novels of the franchise, and it will be released in theaters. And much like how the previous Rascal film was released in theaters, I am hoping this one will be too, and hoping to catch it there, and continuing the story in anime form through this film. And similarly, speaking of uh, stories continuing to films, Saudi Finnegan is continuing with a new film called the Ensemble Contest arc. Uh, it's going to come out in Japan this summer. Previously, Kyoto Animation had said that the Ensemble Concert arc would be adapted as a medium-length anime, which is like longer to short, but shorter in the future, but it is going to be a theatrical release. And so, yeah, that's another project to look forward to, and much like how the previous sound films were released in theaters, hopefully. This one will be two. Uh, another franchise still to look forward to is a new City Hunter anime film that is going to come out this year that has been teased as the final chapter begins. So I guess after nearly 40 years, House uh, <laughs> of is finally ready to quote unquote end the City Hunter franchise. But not, not end it just yet because it's just the beginning of the final chapter. So this new film is going to commemorate the 35th anniversary of the TV anime. And I guess uh, since it's called The Final Chapter Begins, there's going to be at least one more movie in this series of movies about the final chapter. The it's going to be a full-on trilogy. I, I could just feel it. Yeah, I, I would not doubt it. But it's cool. More new City Hunter anime films. And the last one that came out in 2019, they, they said that they might give a theatrical release over here. They didn't. But maybe this one, hopefully. I would, I would like to see it in theaters. And at the very least, I'm sure that Discotech will license it and uh, put it out of Blu-ray for us. But it's not the only City Hunter project to look forward to this year. And not the only City Hunter film project. Because it's actually also getting a live-action film that is going to be coming out worldwide in 2024. Directed by Ryohei Suzuki, who directed the live-action project. Who I mean, it's uh, starring Ryohei Suzuki, who's going to be Ryo Saiba, and uh, directed by Yuichi Sato, who did uh, Kizaragi in the live action Nanai Poisonberry. And yeah, this is the first City Hunter film to actually be shot in the streets of Tokyo after previous live action films have been made in Hong Kong, South Korea, and France. But it's shifting the setting from the late 20th century to the modern day, but you know, kind of retains Ryo Saiba's iconic look and long coat for the manga instead of the jacket. That is normally seen in the anime adaptations. And the film turns the manga's coat, which is like a ball mechan coat, into more of a belted trench coat, though. And it's actually going to be written by the writer of the live-action Yu Yu Hakusho that's coming out later this year, Tatsura Mishima. The music will be composed by Yoshiri Otomo, who did Inuo, which uh, is very high praise. And, you know, this is, like, definitely getting me excited for the music of this film. They also did the music for Lupin Zero and the live-action Orange. And it's going to be excited produced by Shinichi Takahashi. Kiski Sampe Kosuke Oshida are producing it, and yeah, it's gonna come out on Netflix. So, yeah, two new City Hunter film projects to look forward to later this year. But that's not the only Netflix live action project to discuss. We've got a couple more. Yes, uh, next one I'll be mentioning is that uh, Netflix is going to be producing the Hollywood live action My Hero Academia film, which is a film that 
we've known for a while was coming out, but now we know it's being produced by Netflix in particular. And uh, the screenwriter for this film is going to be Joby Harold, who people may know for his work on the Obi-Wan Kenobi Star Wars show and the Army of the Dead, which, uh, you know, I'm happy for Horikoshi that, you know, since he's a big fan of Star Wars, that they got someone who has written on a Star Wars shows to write the My Hero Academia film. Yeah, that's a great get. I'm sure he's happy to have that connection. It's also going to be directed by Shinsuke Sato, who did the live-action Bleach, which uh, was pretty decent. So that's good. Oh, and they also did the live-action Kingdom, which is great. So good director. Yeah, I'm interested in seeing how this turns out. And that's all I have to say. Something else that I'm really looking forward to and seeing how it turns out is the One Piece live-action series, uh, which we already knew was coming to Netflix. But now we know that it's coming to Netflix this year, 2023. That's all we know about it so far. Uh, we got a new poster, teaser visual kind of thing of our very own live-action Luffy pumping his fists in the, in the sunset. It's very cool. And that's about all we know so far. Apparently, it is coming this year. I'm assuming it probably won't be on Netflix until very later in the year. But you never know. It could come out this summer, for all we know. I don't know. But I am especially interested in seeing how this is going to turn out, because I... I really want to stay optimistic. I really, really want it to be good from all the promotional stuff they've been putting out about, like, all the sets they've been building and, like, the cast for the Straw Hat crew seem really, really into being their, you know, respective roles and everything. They seem like they're having fun, so I'm just hoping it's not, like, the live-action Cowboy Bebop where, like, the look of it is pretty interesting and cool, but, like... The writing is very questionable at the very least. I'm really hoping we don't get that combo again. Yeah, you know, that actually brings up a piece of news that came out recently where Shinichi Radanali was like, I had no involvement in the live-action Cowboy Bebop. Like, they kind of sent me the first episode to watch, and I got through the first scene, and which was like a casino scene. It was very hard to watch, <laughs> and so I stopped there, and I, <laughs> I didn't watch anymore because it was clearly not Cowboy Bebop. I mean, yeah. And so, yeah, yeah he... he he was not – in Cowboy Bebop's case, Shinichi Watanabe was not involved really at all. And he had not watched – he's not watched a single episode of it start to finish. He does not see, consider it to be a Cowboy Bebop involved. But he did say, you know, it would not be Cowboy Bebop unless he became more involved. And maybe he should have done that. But uh, – and the difference between Cowboy Bebop and the live-action One Piece is that we know Oda has been very involved, uh, very attentive to the project and hands-on in it. And we know that uh, Shoeisha has been as well to make sure that, you know, uh, it go it's going right. And I think they've learned – they learned a long time ago from the example of Dragon Ball Evolution that they need to be creatively involved with these uh, international projects. Yeah. And turn yeah. out well. So I think a lot of careful consideration and planning and care was put into the production. And I, I would hope we'll see that reflected in the show. So I have a little more faith in it compared to other projects because of the fact that Oda personally got involved with it and has been championing it. And, you know, there's been like a lot more effort to be faithful, but also be creative with it. Yeah, for sure. Let's just hope it turns out okay. Yeah. My only uh, note about the posters, which look good, is that I think the Mary having like this much more open smile is kind of creepy. <laughs> and like the second visual, like uh, just something about it is rubbing me a little strangely compared to like how the Mary's <laughs> mask looks in the manga. But uh, it looks a little, little uncanny, a little surreal. But, uh, you know, that's to be expected in these things. But it's not a big <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's okay. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, yeah, I'm not a fan of that either. 
<laughs> I like seeing uh, the crew, their backs to the ship, you know, and a, a clear like reference to memories. Yeah, I, that's sweet. And I like seeing them in their, their original outfits. That is very nostalgic. And that's very cool that they recreated those looks. So yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing their portrayals. So there are like live action manga slash anime adaptation projects that are actually coming up as well. That includes Rohan at the Louvre. Rohan at the Louvre is getting a live action movie that'll be coming on Japan on May 26th. It's based on the same story that Araki did that was part of a collaboration with the Louvre that had like Roban, you know, as the title suggests, visit the Louvre as part of the Despot Kishibi Roban series. The role of Rohan will be reprised by Ize Takahashi from the show. And, you know, Rohan's editor uh, in the series is also going to be returning for the film. The film's director is going to be the same as the TV show director, who also did the only history live action special. Scripts are going to be done by the writer of the JoJo's anime, one of the writers, Yasuko Kobayashi. The music will be done by the composer of Gundam Thunderbolt, uh, Nariyoshi Kikuchi, so you can expect a very electrifying score there. And, uh, yeah, so there are going to be a lot of, like, good involved parties in this and basically the film can be considered like the ninth episode of the Death Spoke Kashibi Rowan series and they're actually filming on location in France after having finished filming uh, the Japanese scenes uh, in some of the most recent episodes and yeah that's pretty cool so I like the story a lot I'm excited to see the live action adaptation of it I imagine it'll have to expand it some because the manga is not very long but yeah it's gonna be a cool film to see and hopefully um, we get it uh, translated I mean I don't know if we'll get a yeah release of this over here but i mean you're sure it'll be added to asian crush or whatever like the the series is and i'll be curious to watch it there another project i see a live action film is if my favorite pop idol made it to the badokan a kind of yuri series uh, that i enjoy about like you know this idol fan and her crush on the idol she really likes and yeah it's getting a live action film it'll come out spring uh 2023 it looks like so that is exciting it's going to be directed by the director of the live action black butler and nana kentaro otani the screenplay will be by the series's writer kumiko motoyama the person who composed the music for the anime uh, is returning to compose the music for the film, Mohi Yoga. So that is cool. And characters in the story are going to advance to Tokyo as kind of a shift in setting. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I like this series, so I look forward to this film. I don't know if I'll get a chance to watch it anytime in the near future, but I would like to. Next live-action project I want to talk about is the live-action Kingdom film. We mentioned Shinsuke Sato, who's doing the live-action uh, My Hero film. You know, they're a great director. I really like the first Kingdom film, and so I'm excited for the third one, though I haven't seen the second one. I was hoping that they'll see a license, but it hasn't yet. But hopefully I can get a chance to see this one. The screenwriter for this one will be Hara and uh, Sutomu Koraiwa, who did uh, One Piece Film Gold and the live action My Butler. So it seems to be a good crew involved in this one. The previous adaptations have been really strong. I'm looking forward to hearing how the third one turns out too. Uh, in terms of like other international live action adaptation productions, the Philippine live action Volts V recently kind of premiered a five minute mega trailer for the new show, the live action remake that they're making, Volts V Legacy. 
And yeah, I mean, this show is like huge in the Philippines and Filipino culture. So like I, you can tell from this trailer that they have put a lot of, of love into this adaptation and it looks really good. Like one of the best like live action translations of a giant robot show that I think I've really seen. So uh, that's pretty exciting. I, you know, World Speed is not super popular in other territories outside of the Philippines. I, at least not, it's not that popular here in North America. We didn't really get it, although we, we have access to the show now. But I'm very much interested in how this live action series is going to turn out and checking out more of it because it looks really cool. Another live action series to look forward to and one I hope I get to watch is Akiko Higashimura's uh, Do You Remember Me? That's going to be a live action South Korean show that is going to come out later this year. And it says that it's going to debut in Japan and other countries worldwide simultaneously. So I hope one of those countries is here because I love Akashimura's works. And even uh, if it's not the manga itself, but a live action adaptation, I would uh, love to read it. And it's a romantic comedy that centers on a perpetually overworked and overtime clocking 30-something gossip magazine writer as she reminisces about her first childhood crush. So kind of like a lot of uh, Hikashimura's manga, it's, it's about like a, a woman in her early mid-adult years, like kind of reflecting on her life and like being unsatisfied with it and then just wanting change and being wistful about the past. So I enjoyed those stories from her and I am really hoping to check out more of this one. Another live-action adaptation to look forward to is a live-action Utsubora series that is going to be coming out in Japan in March. There have been teaser originals that emulate the covers of the manga volumes uh, featuring the main characters, the twin sisters, Aki and Sakura. And yeah, I enjoyed this manga when I read it quite a while ago at this point. And I, I would also be interested in this mini-series that is based on it. That's going to be about eight episodes. And apparently it'll be the first episode will be free on Wawa Prime. I don't know if it'll be, you know, English sub, but very much another thing that I'd be interested in checking out. So we mentioned on a previous episode that Hulu over in Japan would be streaming a live action adaptation of the Drops of God manga, and that it was going to be a multilingual live action kind of thing, you know, a French Japanese sort of thing. But now we know that it is actually going to be premiering at least stateside, I believe, on Apple TV Plus, and that apparently the series is going to be an eight part series that will be broadcasting and streaming worldwide simultaneously sometime this year in 2023, which is pretty cool obviously because it was on hulu i'm assuming that's still gonna be on hulu in japan that i thought it was just gonna be you know on hulu over here in the states but yeah it looks like apple tv has the u.s streaming rights for this and that's pretty cool i mean admittedly i've been really trying not to delve into apple tv just because i already have enough streaming services i don't want to sign up for another one but between this and Apple TV Plus has, like, I think a few, like, animated films I want to see. I still want to get around to Central Park. Uh, Ray Seahorn is going to have her own uh, TV show on there. Uh, she's the actress for uh, Kim Wexler in Better Call Saul. So, I don't know. Apple TV Plus is um, building up quite the catalog that I actually really want to get to, even though I, I don't want another streaming service. But it's going to happen. I might I might break down sometime this year. I don't know. They might finally get to me. Yeah. I need to subscribe back to Apple TV Plus just to catch up with Central Park again. But yeah, I definitely am curious about this adaptation too and want to check it out as well. They definitely are building up a nice catalog of shows over there on Apple TV+. So this is another one to add to the, the ones I'm really interested in checking out. 
in terms of other international live-action series are going to be available. The live-action adaptation of Kaiji Kawaguchi's The Silent Service is going to be on Amazon Prime. It's going to be on uh, released in Japanese theaters on September 29th, but it'll be going straight to release in uh, Amazon Prime internationally. And yeah, I mean, the lead actor for this one is a big fan of the manga, and it's basically kind of a story that is like about a first nuclear submarine that is like co-built by Japan and the United States, but the crew of the submarine goes rogue, and so it's a big like political thriller that deals with war and international politics and world peace and nuclear power and energy. So it was a fairly long-running series, and it had a previous like anime adaptation in '96. But yeah, this live-action adaptation is like a new adaptation, and I'm curious to read it. And I really liked Eagle, which uh, Kawaguchi also did. That was a series I was a big fan of. So I've been curious to, to read more of their works, check them out, and so definitely I would be keen to check out this series because he definitely has good, interesting uh, political commentary. At least in Eagle, he did. So I'm curious to see how he also explores similar teams to Silent Service. Moving on from live action to CG animated uh, films and series style, this is an adaptation that's kind of been long, o- I mean, also speaking of long overdue adaptations, this is one that uh, I was pleasantly surprised to see announced. If you also want to talk about this one, Colton. Oh, for sure I do, because something of Mr. Akira Toriyama's is getting animated that isn't Dragon Ball related, which is a- Shocker. Uh, yeah, huge shocker. Not exactly on my bingo card for 2023, but not only that, we are getting a screen adaptation of Sandland, a manga miniseries that debuted in Shota Jump, I believe back in the year 2000, 2001, somewhere in that ballpark, which, uh, you know, we actually have done an episode covering the manga in the past if you want to go hear our thoughts on Sandland, the manga. But the interesting thing about this is that it's being announced as a screen adaptation. They're not really telling us, like, whether it's a TV series or a movie or, hell, it could even be like a like a theme park attraction for all we know. We don't really know. I'm assuming it's probably going to be a movie. That's just my assumption. I feel like a movie makes the most sense for something like this, because I don't know if it would neatly fit in like a single core of anime. I guess unless they want to do like a like a like a mini series or something, but I don't know. I think it's gonna be a movie. That's gonna be my guess. If it is a movie, I hope this comes out in theaters. Uh, especially because this is an Akira Toriyama property that's not gonna be animated by Toei Animation, which is another huge surprise. The animation for this is gonna be produced by Sunrise, Kamikaze Doga, and Anima which um, I'm not entirely familiar with Anima's work, honestly, but Sunrise and Kamikaze Doga alone, that's a pretty powerful combination that uh, I really can't wait to see. And, uh, you know, the, the teaser for this is out already, but, you know, just take a look at that and see that, yeah, the CG for this actually looks pretty good so far. I think this film will actually lend itself to CG pretty well. Yeah, especially with, like, its use of mechanical designs, like the tank and stuff, I think that it's uh, going to be great. And, yeah, they've done a really good job of creating a very cool aesthetic for it and making it feel like true to Toriyama's art, but also having kind of a bit of grit to it. I think, yeah, it's going to be really fun adaptation and uh, i'm excited for it as a fan of the manga oh my god i genuinely cannot wait to see this it's just so weird to think that like because you know i mean we've gotten adaptations of like toriyama's other short stories before like those do exist but still it's not something that happens very often so like It's, it's definitely been a while yeah yeah so this this was a really nice surprise like i I hope this leads to more modern anime adaptations of Toriyama stuff, because I would love to see more of that stuff get produced. Yeah. And speaking of CG adaptations of classic manga properties, 
Following in the footsteps of Doraemon, Shin-chan is also getting its first 3D CG animated film that'll be coming out this summer. Ooh. And it is going to be called Shin-chan the Movie, the Great Saikokunaga Battle Leaping Handroll Sushi, which is uh, a mouthful, a crazy <laughs> title there. But yeah, it's going to be the first fully 3D CG Shin-chan film, the 31st film in Shin-chan. Chance film series. And yeah, it's uh, going to be directed by the same director of the Moteki and Bakuman live action films. And I liked that latter one a lot when I saw it. And uh, the CG will be done by the studio 3D Struggle Inc., who did Shin Godzilla and most notably uh, Samba Minorimon, which again, the CG in that film looked fantastic. And similarly, I think that this film will also do a great job of translating the series' look into the CG format. And yeah, basically the plot of the film seems to be that it's going to be about Shin as like some sort of superhero since he has like a cape. But uh, we don't know that much about the plot yet. But uh, it's just cool to see the Shinja series like uh, experimenting with going CG for its latest installment. So I am looking forward to seeing how it turns out. I would love, and again, I would love to have it and to see it if it gets made available anywhere. But and hopefully it will. Oh yeah, I'd love to see this. But again, also talking more about about CG adaptations of classic properties. Saint Seiya's CG series is continuing, even though it's left Netflix and it's on Crunchyroll now. It is getting a third season. So that is pretty interesting, and it's cool to look forward to. I think that in the third season, they'll finally be getting to the Poseidon arc, so they're just going to continue on with the series and continue like adapting the, the manga. So I'm glad that it's doing well for itself. I need to check back in on its adaptation of the Sanctuary arc, because I heard that it improved quite a bit. I was going to say, I'm genuinely surprised that this is still chugging along. Like I genuinely didn't know whether this was like doing well or not. It may not be the most popular in North America, Maybe it really is popular in their territories. So good on it. I'm sure in Latin America, especially, probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah, most likely. I mean, speaking of sequel seasons, Made in Abyss is getting a sequel to its latest season, the second season, Golden City of the Searching Sun. Uh, we don't quite know what the format of the sequel is, is if it's not a core of the anime in another season, or if it's going to be a film, maybe an epilogue to the latest season. But hey, I'm looking forward to more Made in Abyss anime. Golden City of the Searching Sun was fantastic. And so, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to continuing the journey down the abyss with this series as it gets more enemy solids. Speaking of adventures that I'm excited to continue following, Four Nights of the Apocalypse, the sequel to Seven Deadly Sins, is going to get its own anime adaptation, and it's going to come out later this year, which I'm especially happy about since, of course, the simulpub of the series was discontinued by Kananja last year, and I haven't been able to keep up with it. So, I mean, I think the volume releases might be approaching the point where the simulpub left off, so I should probably start picking up those again. But yeah, I, I'm just uh, excited to be able to hopefully be able to keep up with the series anime adaptation. Uh, hopefully it'll be a better quality though than the last couple of seasons of Seven Lady Sins we've had a noble dip in, in quality. But you know it's not being done by A1 Pictures it's being done by TMS and TMS uh, has been doing a good job with their productions recently and it looks good so I am excited for this one because there's a lot of cool stuff in Fortnite City Apocalypse that I'm looking forward to seeing animated. 
Another sequel project that I'm looking forward to is a restart of the Toilet Bone Hanako anime. That's how they have phrased it. I don't know if they mean that it's going to get a second season, so it's like restarting the anime in terms of like the anime starting up again, or it's like a restart and that they're like redoing the adaptation. It's like restarting like from the beginning, which would be kind of weird because like for the most part, the anime adaptation was fairly faithful outside of a few cuts uh, and rearrangements here and there. Regardless, you know, I really enjoy the series, so I'm looking forward to seeing uh, more anime of it. Mm, yeah, the wording there is, like, really vague for some reason. I'm not really sure why they went with that. It's similar to the uh, vague wording of, like, the format of the new Blue Exorcist anime that's supposed to come, where that's going to be a redo or just a continuation. Yeah, I guess so. I mean... I was going to say, at least with them, they said, like, oh, it's going to be a new TV anime. So I I mean, I guess that's still kind of vague. You don't because, again, we don't know. I feel like we have a better idea of whether that's going to be like new material or not, or at least like it's not a continuation of the last season anyway. Yeah. Whereas with this, like restart could literally mean one of two things. Yeah. But I guess we'll see. Before we move on to new adaptations of manga properties, let's talk a little bit about some anime that were meant to be airing the season that are going on hiatus. Yes, just to start off real quick, these aren't like the only two shows that this is happening to. We were kind of talking off mic about how a lot of anime this season are pausing production seemingly because of a huge resurgence of COVID-19 amongst studios, unfortunately. But the two shows that we're going to be talking about that this has affected, first off, is uh, Ayakashi Triangle. The show from the fifth episode on is going to be put on hiatus, as well as the anime for Kuba Won't Let Me Be Invisible, which uh, that show will be put on hiatus after episode six. Uh, With both of these shows, they'll basically re-air whatever's come out, you know, just to kind of buy time for them to hopefully get more work done or, you know, recover from COVID infections. But still, this is really unfortunate because, again, I feel like I've seen at least like five shows in the past week that have been announced that they've been put on hiatus for their production due to COVID. And it's honestly really, really sad. And I I hope the people on the staff of these shows that have been infected do get better. Yeah, I mean, that's the most important thing is that the health of the artists involved in these productions. I mean, COVID is really resurging in Japan right now. So, you know, it's a very dangerous time again. So I just hope that uh, people are taking care of themselves and not putting themselves at risk. But it is unfortunate that these productions are going to have to be delayed. But we've had patterns of these delays happening last year too and it has to do with a lot of factors of just these production schedules being unmanageable and now like these health crises happening so yeah it's a difficult situation but honestly it might work out for the health of the artists involved in the production to get these shows a break and then just restart at a later date yeah to continue on with some new anime adaptation announcements Gogo Loser Ranger, uh, the latest series by your creator quintessential quintuplets Nagi Haraba, is getting a TV anime. That'll be coming out uh, later this year, and you know, it's going to have a great director involved because Keiichi Sato, director of another superhero themed anime, Tiger and Bunny, will be directing it. So, yeah, I am looking forward to this one. I've read the, the first couple chapters of it, and you know, I think it has, uh, it's a lot of fun, has some good potential to it. And so I'm looking forward to seeing how it looks animated, especially with the Tiger and Bunny director being involved. I forgot they were involved. So, yeah, okay, I'll I'll definitely have to check this out then. Another anime I'm looking forward to that uh, has been long awaited is the anime adaptation of I'm in Love with the Willinists. 
which I know so many Yuri fans have considered this one of the best Yuri series of the last couple of years. It's finally getting an anime adaptation that's premiering later this year. The teaser trailer for it looks really good, and the character design seems to translate the animation really lovingly. So I am very excited for it. It's going to be directed by Hideki Oba, who directed Love of Kill, and it's going to be done at Platinum Vision. Writing will be done by Ayamu Hisao Huizo, so a writer on Love of Kill, and also The Devil's Line. And Yoko Sato, who is involved with Seven Seeds, Sayuhi Roll Blast, is adapting the character designs uh, for animation, and sound direction will be done by Hachi Taku Takakua and Noriyuki Asakura, and Usaki Tuuma are composing music. And so, yeah, Yuri Sarazal is going to be starring as Rei, and Karen Nanami as Claire. So, yeah. I'm looking forward to this one. I've been meaning to catch up on these novels for a long time because they become so highly recommended. But this anime adaptation is definitely on the top of my to-watch list when it comes out. Speaking of Yuri anime uh, to look forward to, Whisper Me, a love song is getting a TV anime later this year too. And that's another series that I've heard many good things about and I'm very much looking forward to checking out. It is going to be directed by Zinya Kai, who episode directed on art and the Genius Princess Guide to Raising Nation Adept. It's going to be done at Cloud Hearts with animation production version by Yokohama Animation Lab. And the scripts will be overseen by Hiroki Uchida, who did Requiem of the Rose Human Star Wars Weakest Crest, and Minami Yoshida, who did Mysteria Friends, is designing the characters. So, some really great new Yuri anime to look forward to later this year. In terms of other cute slice of life rom com stuff, uh, the girl I like forgot her glasses is getting a TV anime later this year. And yeah, this is a series that I have checked out a little bit. I got the review copy from Square Enix, and yeah, it's a it is a charming one about this girl who keeps forgetting her glasses, and so she just stares really closely at her like seat neighbor who has a crush on her and stuff. And of course, there's you know she nannigans and cute hijinks, and it, it's just a generally cute little series. So look forward to seeing out this anime turns out and it's a translation of it now we're getting into some interesting sequels to properties that i never thought would uh, get sequels especially in anime form First off is Firefighter Daigo of Fire Company M, aka one of the most notoriously uh, poorest selling manga in North America, a series that in its final arms was selling less than a uh, hundred copies per volume. It is actually getting a TV anime adaptation of its sequel, The Orange of National Salvation, and that'll come out later this year. And I think it'd be very funny if this anime adaptation gets widely available over here, with the manga being uh, infamous for being one of the worst selling manga ever in North America. Uh, uh, it'd be really amazing if somehow Kodansha also decides to like publish the, the manga of this digitally too with how uh, infamously the, the original series did for this. But uh, I just thought that was interesting. Wow. It's interesting since there has not been an anime adaptation I don't think of the original Firefighter manga but the sequel is getting one. So I guess there was a film adaptation in 2000 but there was not an adaptation of the series so very surprising. I was going to say it's technically been animated, but yeah, I don't think it's gotten a TV series. Yeah. It's going to be like a much longer adaptation of the sequel than the original series got, which is, which is interesting. Maybe this sequel is more popular than the, the original. I don't know. I've, I've really not heard much about it, but it's going to be directed at Brainspace by Masahiko Murata, who's done work on Naruto Shippen and Two Year Eternity. So it could turn out to be uh, really well. So yeah, I'm curious about it for sure. And uh, the other surprise sequel that's coming out soon is a new Tenchi Muyo GXP anime. Yes, Tenchi Muyo GXP is not 
from my experience as a fan, it's not been one of the most favorite parts of the series. Uh, but it's getting a new anime, the Paradise Begins arc. We don't really knew the format for this anime yet, whether it's going to be a series or movie. But the creator of the franchise and character designer Masaki Kashima drew a new visual for it that shows the adult version of the protagonist of that series and some new characters and stuff. Kashima is also going to be the supervisor for this project, while Hideki Shirani, who wrote for the original GXP anime plus War and Geminar and the Forge of OA series, is going to be writing supervising scripts for it. And none of those uh, projects were necessarily well-received, so... I, I don't know how this one will be uh, received and fair either. But yeah, this is interesting. It's going to be a prelude to the Paradise War event in the, the main story. And it's connected to the 4th and 5th OVA stories. It's just a new story uh, focusing on Sena, the protagonist of the GXP series. So yeah, this was a big surprise. And wow, Tenshi Muyo GXP is getting a, a sequel anime after all this time. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about it, if nothing else. But definitely not. <laughs> the original GXP was not one of the most fondly regarded parts of the franchise. So uh, in recent years, I don't think it would be considered the worst anymore either. But uh, it's interesting. Tenchi Muyo is one of those things that I just have, like, no experience with. Aww. So, like... <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I, I like... I don't know if I would ever get into the franchise, but also at the same time, it's like, I'm kind of curious. I don't know. I like, I never watched it on TV. I've never watched a single episode. So it's also just like, I just, I don't, I don't know what the deal is with this franchise. I would say the parts that aired on TV are the only parts you really need to check out. The parts that aired on Toonami back in the day. Like uh, the first two OVA series universe in Tokyo, and then those uh, first three movies. And not all of those are even bad. As like, I, I, some people don't really like in Tokyo that much, or the third movie that much. But like, yeah, Tenchi Muyo and Love, I think, is considered the highlight of the franchise that movie. But uh, I, I'm really fond of Universe uh, myself, and then the first OVA series is also really strong. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so that about does it for anime news, but there are some straight events that uh, I am excited about that uh, I just wanted to also share. First, Please Send My Earth is getting a musical multimedia stage recital with the original anime cast that's going to be happening uh, March 11 and 12 to basically commemorate the 30th anniversary of the OVA series. It's going to be called Please Save My Earth Live Bridge of Light. It's going to showcase music, have a live script reading, and screen all six episodes of the OVA series. And the cast is going to reprise their roles for the first time in 30 years. So Yuri Shiritori, who plays Sakaguchi, Yumi Toma, who plays Rin, Emi Shinohara, who plays Mokoran, Shohayami, who plays Shion, and then Mei, who plays Arisu, and Rin's son Ren in the sequel manga uh, is also going to have pre-recorded rhymes, and the artist say Kamri Hamada performing the theme songs of the anime, and the orchestra for the anime is going to perform the soundtrack live. So that's pretty cool. If you know, I was in Japan at the time, I'd definitely love to attend because I think that I really love that anime adaptation of Please Stay Married. I really love the manga too. I recorded a podcast on it that I still need to get out last year, but yeah, I, it's a series that I really, really like. And so this new event is really exciting to hear about. I wonder if it might lead the way to new adaptation, adaptations of the sequels. So, you know, please. Save my art. There's a lot of great about it. There's some baggage about it, so there'd be some baggage in adapting the sequel. But uh, yeah, I, this is really interesting to see the series be uh, celebrated, commemorated uh, 33 decades on. That's, that's pretty cool to see. And uh, speaking of celebrations of, you know, incredibly talented figure for like decades of work, Rika Matsumoto is going to be attending an event in NYC, or I mean, NYC, uh, New York City. 
That'll be happening at Carnegie Hall's Whale Recital Hall on February 20th. It's called New in Japan, a Japan Foreign Culture Inter- Exchange event. And it's going to be an event that'll feature Pokemon songs, uh, Japanese swords dances, traditional dancing, kimono show, and guest appearances by New York performers. All in an effort of being an event promoting intercultural communication. And so that's cool because basically Rika Matsumoto is going to be at this event and she'll probably sing the song she sings in the series. So, you know, Masaze, Pokemon Master, XYZ, or Let's Go, rather, is the name of the song. And then, yeah, probably One, Two, Three, the final version of it that she sung. Those are all very exciting. And that would be amazing to hear. Like, I, it's still, like, a great memory. When Rika Matsumoto came for the premiere of Mewtwo Strikes Back Evolution at Anime Expo and sang the Zase Pokemon Master live to the audience, that was awesome. This is a great uh, utter opportunity, if you missed that time, to maybe hear her do that. And uh, I would love to be able to go too to attend this event uh, just to see her perform live but you know I'm not gonna be available during that weekend especially since I uh it's like the same weekend where I'm already going to the Demon Slayer event and uh I think in a day where I'll have class the next day so I can't really fly from New York to Illinois <laughs> it's not sure bonus but alas not with that attitude well uh, <laughs> it is not you know, maybe I can make it work because it's going to take place from two to three EST. So, uh, I'm know. just, I'm just, I'm just saying, if you really believe in yourself hard enough, I think you could. Yes, <laughs> but you know what? If you do live in New York, if you're a big Pokemon fan and you want to have the opportunity to hear Matsumoto sing some of the iconic songs she sings in the series live, definitely take this opportunity because uh, it is such a treat. And that about does it for the news we wanted to cover on this episode. We did it. We basically did a full roundup of all the news we had left over for 2022 and all the news that's come out in this first month of 2023. Oh my god, we did it. We actually did it. We did it. We did. We did it. Yay. Yeah, we did it. I don't know how the rest of it goes. I haven't watched Dora the Explorer in 20 years. Me neither. Me neither. But yeah, that'll be it for this episode. You know, I'm impressed with how much news we got to cover, and surely February will bring even more news for us to cover, and even more episodes for you to look forward to. We mentioned it earlier in the episode, but we'll be doing another new series slash Cyberpunk Roundup coming soon as well, so look forward to that. Uh, talking about some new series that have appeared on Mangamo and Oski and other places recently. And yeah, that we also have a lot of podcasts we have banked that we uh, need to get out to you guys too, so it's we sure do <laughs> yeah so we got a lot of stuff uh, you guys can look forward to and a lot more stuff planned but until next time uh, we'll let you know where you guys can find us you can find me at the Mariasha on twitter it's on Mariasha in a variety of places like editor relation list letterbox wherever there's a Mariasha you'll find me there by that name you can also read my manga reviews over on mangas.com we've got a lot of books coming in so a lot of reviews planned to go out as well as more interviews and reviews of other stuff so look forward to more of that published on there as well as you can find the other podcast i do lum squad the ursi Yatsura focus podcast where we cover the wonderful lucky world of Logan Hodgkin's classic sci-fi rom-com series having a lot of fun discussing the manga the movies the new anime the old anime when it'll come out on blu-ray from discotech there's been a lot to talk about in the world of ursi Yatsura lately a lot to talk about as a fan of robot hockey's works lately so look forward to more discussions 
on that show. We've got a lot of episodes banked and planning to come out. Uh, just need to get around to releasing them. But look forward to those. You can find us again on Mongerers.com, but also follow us on Twitter at Mongerers Squad, where you'll post and comment on news regarding the show, particularly uh, the reboot and do some uh, episode to manga comparisons. And you can uh, find us on our YouTube channel by searching for a channel name in the search bar. And you can also find us in every podcast platform you're getting a bank or Spotify Stitcher. You know, if you can think of it, we're probably on it. We also cross-post episodes on the Mongrels feed, and early, oftentimes a lot early, there's episodes that have been up for months early at this point, on the Mongrels Patreon. And if you like the art I make, the thumbnails I draw for our podcast, or the animations and illustrations that I draw and do in general, you can find that on my Instagram, at SidArtWorks. All right, but as for me, I'm Colta. You could find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also host and produce my own podcast outside of Manga Mavericks so you can find links to over at my personal blog at coltoncorner.wordpress.com. That's basically my personal blog where you can click on the uh, podcast page and check out literally everything I'm doing at the moment outside of Manga Mavericks. That includes podcasts that I'm not recording anymore, but I still want to link anyway, and even all the guest spots I've done for other podcasts over the years. So if you want to check out any other podcasting projects I'm a part of, once again, coltoncorner.wordpress.com, click on the podcast page and check out all my stuff. But as for this podcast, you can find every episode over at mangamavericks.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you will have access to select episodes of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. Basically, if we happen to have an episode of Manga Mavericks edited before it's supposed to go out on the main feed, we will put it up on the Patreon at the $2 tier for patrons to listen to before anyone else. But really, that depends on what we have ready at any given time and how much we have edited and all kinds of factors going into that. Uh, so really, if you want more reliable content, admittedly, you should sign up for our $5 tier, where we post a new bonus podcast at the end of every month, guaranteed. As we mentioned at the top of the show, right now you can listen to our latest annual Shonen Jump Retrospective. That's right. Like we said at the top of the show, we invited our good friend Maxi Bernard of Friendship Ever Victory and Shonen Flop to basically come on and talk about the past year's worth of Shonen Jump comics. It's a really good time. We do it every year. And hey, you know what? This podcast in particular, you don't even have to be at the $5 tier to listen to. If you sign up for a Patreon for as low as a dollar, you will get over three hours of Lum, Maxi, and I talking all about Shonen Jump and what we think about basically every series as best as we can. It's genuinely one of my favorite podcasts to record every year. I love doing this with Maxi and Lum. So if you want our thoughts on the past year's worth of Shonen Jump manga, you can listen to that once again for as low as a dollar. But hey, you know what? If you still sign up for the $5 tier, you get so many other great bonus podcasts that we put up every month, you know, that we've put up over the past few years we've been on Patreon. We have a lot of really cool bonus stuff that, once again, you can listen to at patreon.com slash mavericks. Once again, it is the best place for you guys to support us and everything we do here on the show. The money we make via our Patreon, all of it goes back into the podcast, whether it be, you know, paying for hosting for both the website and the podcast, uh, materials for the show, uh, technical emergencies, like, you know, fix up our laptops or getting new microphones. Uh, that's basically what your money goes towards. Again, I cannot stress enough that every penny that we make through this Patreon, we put back into the show in some way, shape, or form. So once again, you're really helping us when you sign up for a Patreon. One last time, that is patreon.com slash Sign up today. We'd really appreciate it. 
But as for everything else, you can follow us on Twitter at manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at mangamavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash mavericks, where we post different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Once again, youtube.com slash mavericks. Please subscribe to us. Email us anything at mavericks at gmail.com. Do you have any thoughts on any of the news we covered this episode? Are you reading any manga that you want to tell us about or that you want us to talk about on the show, maybe? Uh, email us anything about manga or the podcast or whatever. We'd love getting emails from you guys. So if you send us an email, we will read it on the show. Once again, mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we're on so many different platforms at this point. In general, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you could do this kind of thing. If you leave us a rating and review on those platforms, it really helps the visibility of our show. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys, whether it be positive or negative, because we want to use that feedback to make the show as good as possible. All right, but that's going to about do it for this episode. Once again, thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Manga Mavericks. This has been episode 223, and we'll see you guys next time for episode 224. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.